This podcast is brought to you by PC component retailer and boutique builder Silver Knight PCs. Use offer code Broken Silicon to get six percent off everything on their website. And it is also brought to you by Healthy and Delicious Vite Ramen. And it is also also brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com that gets you great deals on Windows keys and other products. You can find links in the description and the proper offer codes for all of these sponsors, and we'll talk about them later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. And today I am joined a couple, well, I mean, actually from when we usually record this, you try to fix the focus on your yes, camera. Auto fo- goes out of autofocus immediately today. And I, what we don't, what they also don't know is I like almost fell out of my chair when I started recording <laughs> too, which actually at that point, I think we just leave it and leave in. You're out of focus and I just fall out of my chair and we start. Why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually we would record three days ago, at least. Yeah. And we just decided because the RTX 4070 was getting its reviews on Wednesday that, you know, I mean, we could push it up or do that thing we sometimes do where we actually release the episode a day early. So it's not next to big news, but it was also Easter weekend. And so, like, I don't know, just let us spend Sunday with our families, you know, um, and yeah. uh and trying to make sure this is a well-rounded episode, which, of course, there's a loose ends on Monday anyways, for those who want hours of me rambling. But now you're here to join me rambling today. Dan, rambling. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm pretty good. I There's been a lot of, which we'll get to, leaks out of Moore's Law is Dead about Zen 5 <laughs> and other stuff yeah. in the past couple of weeks. And I got to say that... There's always this worry when we wait or push back an episode that it will be for nothing. Because I, I had like literally a couple websites sent me RTX 4070 reviews a couple yeah. days ago. I was like, oh, maybe we could record Monday and try to have this drop when the reviews are out. But for me, the most interesting thing about the RTX 4070 is how people react to it. <laughs> and I won't know that until review day because I think we knew the performance. but. I, I got to say, I'm not disappointed we pushed this back. The reactions have been interesting so far. And I've actually got some new information about 4070 supply and even Zen F- new Zen 5 info again for this episode, new Meteor-like info. So we'll get to that. But first, let me do an opening reader mail here. My boy writes in and says, my boy, speaking of himself in the third person, oddly, is now listening to the Sahara Intox EP prologue which is the song, by the way, used for the Broken Silicon intro again and again and again and again and again. And I think he says again about 40 times, so I'm not going to read that. But (laughs) that is to say he said again a lot in his reader mail. He says, don't listen to Moore's Law is Dead. He brainwashes his viewers into becoming addicted to Sahara's music. Well, the point. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen Sahara if I didn't think their music was freaking great. And actually, funnily enough, their SoundCloud uh, website or link is called Sahara Sucks. So <laughs> if you want to go check out their music, it's on SoundCloud. But don't forget to also just Google around 
Um, for, there's also some old rap band called Sahara. This is a more modern alternative band that has a band camp and I think another page as well to get all of their music because they actually have like, I don't know, 10 or 20 songs. And you actually got to look in more places than just their SoundCloud. Check out their YouTube channel as well. But speaking of music, there's other music that I would like to recommend. If you go to the Moore's Laws Dead Twitter and just scroll down a little bit, I retweeted Gerard's new album. So Gerard is in a band called SoTrack. It's a Catalan band in Spain. So I don't even know if I said the name of their uh, their band correctly, but I believe I did. It's SoTrack. And they have a album that came out, uh, actually, I believe today. So check that out because it isn't in English, to my understanding, or at least most of it doesn't seem to be, but it sounds really good. Like, and I shouldn't say that like I'm surprised, but I never know <laughs> what I'm going to get. Like, not only is the album really good, but it also is like my taste in music, you know? And so I, I can't recommend it enough. There'll be a link in the description to uh, their song Heroes. Um, and their band name is S-O-T-R-A-C. Check them out on Spotify. Just, you know, Gerard's our audio engineer. I, I think at a minimum, you should get a shout out for his band when they put out an album. Uh, for I, so much uh yeah i mean he does a a, a lot of good work uh, for this channel and uh, I'll, i have not checked out his album yet but i will and you're <laughs> his a, band's album you're a very bad person for not checking I'm, it i know yeah. he did use ai generated uh ai generation for the music videos too so those are pretty cool so again links in the description s-o-t-r-a-c and now let us get to the directions bullethead writes in and he says hey tom here's an update on dreams and he's linking to an article here from polygon quoting we've made the difficult decision to discontinue live support for dreams after the first of september 2023 okay so this was recent news that i must have missed to shift our focus to an exciting new project the studio said in a blog post the title won't be removed from sale and players will still be able to create share and play within dreams but there won't be any more updates or developer-led events such as the Impy Awards that rewarded the community's best creations, nor will we be following through on the long-promised multiplayer support. And the game won't be updated for PlayStation 5 or PlayStation VR 2. Dreams will also be migrated to a new server in late May, after which players will face a storage limit of 5 gigabytes for new creations in an effort to preserve the security and stability of the Dream server. Translation, they don't want to pay for large servers for this game. Mm. Existing creations uploaded before the move won't count towards the limit. The number of other features will be removed from the game, including Twitch integration. So yeah, I don't remember which podcast it was. I mean, I think I made fun of it on news episodes with you before. Probably, yeah. uh, Recently, I don't know if it was Brian Heemskirk or the, uh, I think it was the Unreal Engine 5 developers, at least one of them. I made a joke that like nothing happened to that game and well, I guess there you go. Uh, if uh, you've been listening to Sacred Symbols, they've been making fun of that. Cons- uh, maybe not making fun of that, but pointing out consistently that this game clearly didn't know what it wanted to be and was going nowhere for years. And I guess it's officially gone nowhere. Yeah, I mean, they plugged that. I mean, they first showed off that game when the PS4 was announced. And I know it's been out yeah, to some the announcement. I know it's been out in some form for a few years now, but it, 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 it kind of felt like it was a game that never really left alpha or beta, even though if it 
nominally did. Like there is that weird thing, if you'll remember, where at one point they were saying, we'll only sell a limited number of copies of Dreams, which was bizarre. And I, I don't know. know. Uh, Media Molecule was like, they made Little Big Planet, which is a fantastic game, but we have very fond memories of playing that decades ago. Yeah. But beyond that, it's just, yeah, they, they never took off past, uh, little big planet. And, you know, I don't want to say the studios probably uh, at death's door, but, uh, if they don't have a good project after this, I don't know what's going on with them. Look, to be fair, they're in an indie studio. My memory tells me that they, they're not really anymore, but my memory tells me that the original Little Big Plant was made with a team of like 25 people. And obviously they got bigger after that and Tearaway was well received, but unfortunately first released on the Vita, which Sony hated that console and wanted it to die in the crib. Um, but what I don't understand is for a company that at least on paper and financially seems to be good at stewarding studios, I don't know how they let them go this long doing nothing with this IP. Like they could have been working on so many other games. I mean, I guess from Sony's perspective, like they are like 10 plus times smaller than like the majority of their other studios that they own. So having them fumble around a bit more is probably less problematic versus like if Naughty Dog or something were fumbling around for 10 years because they Naughty Dog employs what probably I don't know the exact size of the studio, but I would assume it's a very large studio. And at least so far, no matter what happens, even if factions comes out probably three years late, it's going to be a seller. And if they they get factions out this year, I mean, that's still what four games in 10 years from naughty dog. That's not really bad. No, no, it's not. (laughs) But, um, you know, it does make you wonder, like at least the rumors I've heard from out of, people that either work at or connected to like Xbox studios is that Bethesda is kind of at death's door. If Starfield doesn't go well and that they're already like have a microscope under over them all of a sudden. And that three, four, three is basically gutted by now. And it's because eventually Microsoft said, Hey, we gave you all this money. What are you doing with it? And I guess I don't know. I don't know what it costs Sony to keep the studio going, but Sony has, and I think sometimes unfairly with, studios like zipper killed them off if they didn't deliver and i'm just i don't know i guess you know as someone who's a fan of socom why did you kill zipper sony and then the media molecule can just putz around for years here with this i don't know it's just in comparison annoying to me the reason is there i would assume is that they're a way smaller studio so they can probably get away with not making money for longer than other studios because yeah like if not, like I said, if Naughty Dog went 10 years without making a successful game, that would be a pretty big deal. But uh, I mean, Media Molecule is only like 50 people as it stands right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if tear if they're still living off of Tearaway doing relatively well. And who knows, maybe Dreams somehow miraculously turned to small profit. I doubt it, <laughs> but but you never know. I think I would bet money it did not. But, um, <laughs> Pigeon writes in and says, Hi, Tom. In your Z- AMD Zen 5 leak video, you compared the current AMD versus Intel CPU situation to NVIDIA versus Radeon a decade ago. Except the period you pointed out on the market share graph is nearly two decades ago. Just something to make you feel old. 
which I looked this up and I was like, is that correct? And it is, I guess it is, you know, technically when AMD had over 50% market share with NVIDIA, at least according to most estimates, I guess that was actually, I think right before and during the 3870 period. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, uh, my memory always just was that like Faramy is when NVIDIA started to get to 50% market share above. But I guess I was maybe off a gen in my memory. Having said that, Pigeon, I will say that whole period that I argue AMD is doing to Intel right now of technically having less market share but making double the margins of Intel and thus over time having more money for R&D, being more financially healthy. And eventually, by the time you get to 50% market share, you're making tons more money and the other mm-hmm. companies screwed. That's what I, I'm worried is happening between AMD and Intel now. That is what happened with NVIDIA to Radeon. But that process took, it was like 2005 to 2015. And I think the first architecture became abundantly obvious it was over was fury where amd had to use hbm yeah and they were on like their like bazillionth generation of gcn with the m- massive memory bandwidth and a huge die and nvidia was launching this gddr5 generation that had the same efficiency um well that, it, that and was you crazy re- and that's because they had the money to spend on a advanced architecture whereas amd was just updating gcn agnosium for years yeah, and you could really tell with like the the Fury series of cards, like they were pretty decent cards, I think. But you could tell there was something going on with AMD because that they should have had eight gigs of RAM <laughs> uh, in comparison to the rest of their lineup, at least. At least the top cards should have, and yeah. they, you know, I think there's a big misconception. Like, are technically the most efficient card out of the Maxwell versus, you know, what what was it the 300 series generation is is the fury nano like that was the most efficient card mm-hmm. and people misremember that the fury x was some hulking base he's the same energy as a 980 ti same but it did require liquid cooling for the hbm or it kind of did it was on the borderline they decided to go with it and they were their memory controller used so much less energy than maxwell yet <laughs> overall they used the same amount of energy so it was still wasn't like it was like, wow, they've tied Maxwell with something that costs 20 to 30% more to make. It's almost like AMD needs a new architecture finally. Well, and uh, <laughs> then we uh, putzed around for five more years and got our, uh, got a decent Vega architecture and then uh, got RDNA, which is actually undeniably pretty good at this point. <laughs> right, and RDNA launched 2019. And then RDNA 2 was 2020. So that would have been... That's interesting, though. Those would have both been started before Zen 2. Before Zen 1, I mean, even launched and brought a bunch of money into AMD. But it still has to help that, like, halfway through development, I'm sure Radeon just got double the funding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That had to have helped somewhat there, though. Um, Taylor Hayden writes in and says, Hi, Tom. In your conversation last week with the anonymous Unreal Engine 5 developer... I think some aspects of why games can demand a quarter of the game to be loaded at a time didn't quite get communicated correctly. You mentioned that the game needs to cache the results of how different materials interact with lightning, with lighting, where a thousand textures become tens of thousands because of different levels of lighting and shadows being placed onto the textures and then stored in RAM. That's not really correct. Assets in memory 
will be larger than assets on disk. Textures, audio, animations will be compressed in storage and loaded into memory. They're either completely uncompressed or the compression ratio is notably worse. Additionally, runtime effects can place significant demands on memory. Ray tracing requires a BVH structure to be maintained. Voxel-based GI solutions require voxel grids to be located on the GPU. And asynchronous compute workloads require their own GPU memory buffers. Oh. Even bog-standard effects like real-time shadow maps require GPU memory that is not part of a game bundle. So at a minimum, I vastly oversimplified why <laughs> we need more VRAM on a GPU. Um, but yes, thank you for the correction. And we will actually talk more about the VRAM discussion soon. But let us first start with a GPU that already does not have that much VRAM for the generation it's in. With story number one, RTX 4070 review discussion and launch day supply leak. All right, so I have the write-up and then I will get your thoughts, Dan. So here we are, finally at the beginning, uh, at the launch of NVIDIA's first mid-range Lovelace card. Although that word, mid-range, is the word that needs to be focused on here. Because today, NVIDIA decided that a 295 millimeter squared 104 die that is cut down by 24%, roughly the same amount cut down as the 3060 Ti, should cost $600 or more. Now, a week ago, this channel warned that while NVIDIA had shoved a loss leader MSRP down AIB's throats, the specs still don't lie. The 4070 would cost $600 because this 29 teraflop card was going to be a lot weaker than the 40 teraflop RTX 4070 Ti. And if we average the results of the tech power-up and hardware unbox numbers from today, at least when I average them, I found the 4070 is 19% weaker than the 4070 Ti. The 4070 is 17% weaker than the 16 gigabyte 6950 XT, and the 4070 ties the 16 gigabyte 6800 XT and actually loses to the 3080 slightly. The 4070 is also, at least in this reader's opinion, most notably, only 13% faster than the 16 gigabyte RX 6800. And that is the most notable thing here, at least in my opinion, because that card has more RAM than the 4070 and costs 20% less. And of course, if that's not the card you want to get, which that's really the mid-range card I think you should be considering if you want to save money, the stronger 6950 XT, again, a card that is 17, that the 4070 is 17% weaker than, and it costs about the same. And the 6800 XT costs 10% less for the same performance and more RAM. So truly, the only real saving grace of the 4070 is its efficiency, as it seems to only pull about 180 watts of power, which is around the same power consumption as the outgoing RTX 3060 Ti, almost like this should be called the 4060 Ti. Anyways, what do reviewers think? Honestly? Not great things based on what I have seen. In summary, hardware unboxed seemed to give a mostly positive review, but it was really only barely mostly positive from what I could tell. Gamers Nexus seems to have ended up recommending the 6950 XT. Linus Tech Tips seems to recommend RDNA 2 cards like the 6950 XT or 1600 XT and was very disappointed. And Jay's Two Cents said, meh, it's basically priced like the rest of Lovelace. Paul's hardware then focused on how bad the pricing was, pointing out how basically every previous Gen 70 card beat the previous the previous Gen before that 80 card by at least 10 or 20%, whereas this generation, it loses. And indeed, the community 
or at least the vocal part that bothered to comment on YouTube, seems to hate this card. And again, I just want to summarize this. In the hardware unbox comments section, I saw a lot of hate for the 4070. Uh, in the Gamers Nexus comments section, I saw them, multiple people saying this is clearly a 4060 Ti that should be $450. And a substantial amount of people in the Linus Tech Tips section said, I just pulled the trigger on either a 7900 XT or 6950 XT. People in the J's Two Cents comment section hate it. And then people in the Paul's Hardware comment section also seem to hate the 4070. But so really, what else is there to say? Well, I guess the only thing then I will add after summarizing all of that info is that I do have final updates to 4070 launch day uh, volume. So one source tells me that literally half of the 4070s loaded in their system are at MSRP. Listeners will be good to remember that I leaked that NVIDIA was mandating that AIBs ship half of their initial volume at MSRP. I am told it is literally to the card half in the system right now, which is hilarious to me. Uh, AIBs don't seem to want to sell one card above MSRP that they don't have to. And overall, the average price seems to be around $631 for a 4070, although that price is a little misleading because the median is also 630, meaning half are 600 and the other half are not 630. They're more like 650 to 700. And then another source tells me that it's still early. This was from a large US retailer uh, that says that they have more supply than the 4080 at launch, but less than the 4090. Another large online retailer tells me that they have more cards than most of the previous launches from Lovelace, but not as many as the 4090 and 7900 XT. It's going to be a big launch, but not an insane one. Then another retailer outside the US told me that this will be a bigger launch than most gens, but it does not seem to be as big as a few recent ones. So I guess there you go. Half of the cards will be MSRP at launch. The other half definitely will not be. And there seems to be decent supply. Um, I guess if people don't like this card, it'll be very easy to get then. Uh, well, this is supposed to be their volume product, so <laughs> you would hope for decent but supplies. But it doesn't but we'll seem see. to be as high volume as the 4090, at least at first. But all right, I just yammered on there, Dan. What do you think of the 4070? I mean, the 4070 boldly brought $600 tier performance. I mean, no, $550 tier performance to $600 if you're comparing it to like the 6800 XT, which it's basically a 6800 XT. Uh, with less so, RAM. With less RAM and is better at ray tracing. Oh, not really. That well, it's better at ray tracing. I, I think you can say it is, but yeah, and, a lot of games you won't turn it on because they'll run out of RAM. Yeah, and, and also has DLSS, which I once again think DLSS is more of a selling point than uh, the ray tracing. But mm -hmm. so, I, I, I mean... Based on the environment right now, I think the 6800 XD is probably just a better buy if you're looking for a new card in this price range. I mean, DLSS continues to be a good feature, so I, I think maybe it, if DLSS keeps getting widely adopted, maybe it could swing into the 60, I mean, the 4070 being the better card to get at roughly the same price, but I don't know. Then it's counterbalanced by the RAM and I don't, I'm not sure when 12 gigabytes are going to start being an issue, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if it became an issue in 4K over the next couple of years, which this isn't really being advertised as a 4K card, I guess, but it, you can play games in 4K with the amount of graphics power you have. It's just if 
if the RAM is going to become an issue or not. Yeah, I mean, and and I undoubtedly bet that there are some people in the comments listening slash watching this going, why did he show 4K benchmarks? Because it's fucking $600. That's why. It's fucking $600, you guys. And if you tell me you shouldn't expect to be able to run games in 4K without a stutter fest because you're running out of RAM with a $600 card, you're gone, you're brainwashed. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's just getting to a point where it's like, we're we're just at, at this point, I feel like, where 4K has been like the highest resolution in gaming or that most people really discuss as a reasonable resolution to play in in gaming for like the past decade. And I, I just, it just seems that like the prices for what they call 1440p gaming and 1080p gaming, while you would expect them to decrease over time, it seems like they're slowly creeping up to the point where it's like, oh, great, a $600 card is our 1440p cards now. We did it. We, made things more expensive even though it's paradoxically using less silicon (laughs) yeah which again let's be clear about this i think some people get a little too wrapped up in the die size argument it's a fair argument with context but you got to keep that context like four nanometer i think costs about twice as much as what nvidia paid for eight nanometer with samsung not to say Mm. that we should care about that completely i mean so what yeah, <laughs> like consumer before companies. I don't own any stocks in NVIDIA. So I don't really care what their margins are ultimately. But there, there is an honest discussion here of like, they don't want their margins to be cut in half. So, okay, you have a 400 millimeter squared 3070, and then you have a 300 basically millimeter squared 4070, but it costs twice as much. All right. So the silicon difference cost is maybe 20 to 50 bucks. It makes sense if this was like 550 or something, maybe. But at the end of the day, these are also the worst yields. And these are also cheaper boards than the 3070 because it requires less power draw. I mean, a lot of that silicon cost saving with Samsung was wiped out by the fact that they needed way better power components to control the voltage spikes of Mm -hmm. Samsung's, like, just node that was not meant to make big dies. And so, I mean, it really works out to, look, this is really the, what should be the 4060 Ti. The 3060 Ti was launched for 400. Then I'm giving NVIDIA a mulligan by saying this can be 500. I'm adding $100 to account for the silicon costs and RAM. But that's what it is. It is cut down basically the same amount as the 3060 Ti. That's what this is. It performs like a, what a 4060 Ti would be. Yeah, they're calling their 60, their 60 Ti a 70 now, and they're pricing it in between their previous 70 and 80 th- 80 cards and it's just i even though to, from some to some extent i guess this does represent the best value nvidia has offered so far in the entire lovelace lineup it's hard to be excited about that when the value versus uh msrps from two years ago it, or two and a half years ago at this point is a 100 dollar increase in price uh, benefit and price performance because like the 3080 is basically the this card the 4070 and that cost seven hundred dollars two and a half years ago and now we have a six hundred dollar card it's just not 
that impressive. I mean, I guess now we have a marginal benefit in price performance versus last gen, but I, I think it's still marginal. For, and when you're looking at the other cards they've released, it's just flat out been the same. So congrats on that, I guess. And then the efficiency on it is good. But other than that, the 4070 is just a. It, it's just l- like you've discussed in the past. It's not giving you anything you couldn't get before. So it's kind of hard to be excited about it. And I guess it's slightly less uh, RAM deficient than the uh, equally powered cards from last gen. But still, that's not that much of an argument when you only have 12 gigs <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And I mean, if I, I'm just like doing some math on a little calculator. The 4070 Ti, which people seem to really not like, at least based on how many NVIDIA shipped and they just sat on store shelves and basically more AIB, more models than AIBs wanted to were pushed towards MSRP. Um, I mean, the 4070 Ti, based on the benchmarks I'm looking at here, is only 20% weaker than the 4080, and yet it is 33% cheaper. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the 4070 is 19% weaker than the 4070 Ti, and it's 25% cheaper. This this is a worse movement than the 4080 to 4070 Ti, guys. Yeah, I I, I guess it almost looks better just because, like, I, I think for the level of performance you're getting, the 12 gigabytes seems less deficient, but, eh. Yeah, it's it's really not that great of value. It, it, and ultimately, that's my point is, you know, and the point I made in that video I put out a week ago, or was it a week ago? I think it was about a week or two ago, where the, the 4070 Truth Leak, where I said, look, it is 600, but it is weaker than you wanted. It isn't almost a 4070 Ti. This thing's crazy cut down. And there are remote scenarios where the 4070 with just an 8-pin loses by more than a couple percentage points. It's usually just a couple percent. but it is sometimes more than that because in games that have the extra power headroom to boost higher on the 16-pin models, they can't on the 8-pin. So I guess I'm... What were you expecting out of reviews, though, Dan? And this is what I was alluding to earlier. Like, I, I, This is what I wanted to see. How do people react to this? They're more negative than I expected. I, 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 I was expecting a relatively lukewarm reaction because it's just not that exciting of a card, in my opinion. And it depends on what angle you want to take from from it. You can see it as this isn't really changing the market that much, so who cares? Or you can see it as this isn't really changing the market that much and being mad about it because it's not really improving anything, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, it just depends on the angle or or your perspective on how you view the uh, product launches. Like, do you... if you get mad seeing the needle not move, then yeah, I assume people are get, that have that response are going to be pissed off about this because, yeah, this certainly isn't moving the needle on anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not any different than what NVIDIA has been doing with the rest of the Lovelace lineup and pricing. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll see. You know, this will drop or we're recording this before sales go live. So I won't know. We won't know how well this sells until this podcast is out. And I'll just say, my understanding is, depending on the retailer, they have 
more supply than the 4080, maybe comparable to the 4070 Ti or a little more, but not as many as the 4090 and 7900 XT. So 7900 XT always had tons of supply for the price it was especially. Um, and so if this sells out on day one, I think NVIDIA knows that they can let AIBs raise prices or they don't have to mandate half of it is at MSRP anymore. They'll go, oh, it's sold out? Okay, well, we'll just let AIB sell it for 700 de facto. And if it doesn't, I don't know. I've had some retailers say, at least the day before it's launching, there's not a lot of people calling about it. This could be a reckoning. And when you're watching this, when this comes out, if there's tons of 4070s still in stock, this isn't what NVIDIA wanted and they supplied a decent amount of cards. If there's not, expect prices to go up because as I leaked in the live stream earlier this week, NVIDIA is helping with the pricing on the initial shipments of 4070s with AIBs to make up for their last minute price drop shenanigans. But it's temporary and NVIDIA will, a lot of these prices will easily go back up if it sells out. And yeah. I guess we'll see, right? I, I mean, like I said earlier, this is supposed to be their volume product, and this will just answer the question. I, what is the maximum price? Like the non, it's almost, it's hard to say. Like the, the person that's DIYing is probably almost by definition more into this type of thing than uh, PC hardware than most people are, obviously. But like this test, will people be convinced that don't want to? Uh, spend an arm and a leg on their PC, will they be willing to spend $600 or are they just going to say, nope, I'm sitting this out. I'll wait for something that's like three or four, uh, $400 to come out because you know, that's what those consumers used to expect. And once you're into the solidly in the mid range, honestly, arguably getting to low end, if we're looking at car uh, graphics card releases, I think those people are less willing to budge on price. <laughs> Absolutely. This Easter season, Jesse, well, Jesse isn't looking for any colorful eggs hidden by creepy man-sized rabbits. No, she's usually looking for new tennis balls at the park or for where my friend's dog is hiding around the house. Me, myself, well, usually during the spring season, I'd be hunting for the best way to avoid paying monopolistic prices for Microsoft software. Well, that was until I was sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com many years ago. This piece of content is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com com a long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for a reason. They've been good to me, they've been good to Dan, and they've been easy to work with. And they keep reliably providing the Moore's Law is Dead community with a product that I think PC gaming just needs. In a world where all of our components seem to keep getting more expensive, I don't think we should also have to be milked by Microsoft as well. So this Easter season, whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or Microsoft products as well, go to C cdkeyoffer.com and use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and then die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting cdkeyoffer.com this Easter season. And somewhat on this subject, Weirdface writes in and he says, seems like the average gamer base is split on the 4070 in terms of their reactions. One side thinks the 4070 is just a 3070 Ti with 3070 Ti pricing, but with lower power draw now, and you should ignore it. 
The other side thinks that 4070 is a good deal and people should jump all over it. I think people who buy 12 gigabyte GPUs for $600 in order to game in 4K with max settings deserve the performance tanks they're going to get though in a year. Just get a 6800 XT instead or a 6950 XT or a 7900 XT instead of the 4070 Ti. You'll thank me later. Yeah, this was kind of a last minute uh, submission here. But this is the only reader mail we got about the 4070. I mean, people really? have hours. <laughs> so I'm just saying it. I don't think there's the interest for this card NVIDIA thought there would be. Yeah, because it, it, I, I don't know who the card is really for. It's $600. $600 for a graphics card. I know we've talked about it before. And like the market's changing, obviously. But $600 is definitely in the tier of where people consider it like close to enthusiast level uh, uh pricing like this is a thing that i a, a hobby i'm willing to spend a lot of money on and when you have people that are just that don't care as much and they you know they're fair weather pc people and they're like well screw this i'll get a console or screw this i'll just keep using my 3060 ti or 3070 even uh I, I, there's just n no one that this thing is for at $600 because you're, you're charging high end prices for a lower mid range card. Yeah. And I just decided while you were talking there to double check the R slash NVIDIA subreddit. And I don't know, I checked a couple posts. It's not like I looked exhaustively, but mostly they think it sucks <laughs> what I saw there in the NVIDIA subreddit. So, at the end of the day, you can get something. And look, DLSS is a feature, a real thing here. I think because of DLSS and to a much lesser extent, but I guess we'll put an asterisk for it. Also, because of the ray tracing advantage, at least in raw performance, although VRAM is an issue. I'd say for the same amount of performance in VRAM, if you had an NVIDIA card here and an AMD card here, I'd probably pay an extra 10 to 20% for NVIDIA because of DLSS and ray tracing. Mm -hmm. But that's it, because I think, you know, AMD has Radeon Chill. I think their driver uh, software is slicker to use, easier to use, less buggy, less slow. Wattman is nice. AMD does have their own driver advantages. So it's not like NVIDIA software is just better. It, there are AMD advantages. Just DLSS and ray tracing is unignorably more important to me. And because of that, I'd maybe pay 10 to 20% more. But then when you throw in VRAM, I don't know. And so when I look at the 6950 XT, that is basically $600 now all of a sudden. Wonder why. Um, yeah. You know, it's like 17% stronger. That negates the DLSS point I made. That's the buffer I would want to see for the same price for performance. And then it has more RAM. And it's more important here. We're not talking like 20 gigabytes to 24 or something. This is a buffer that's already being filled up in 1440p in multiple games. 12 gigabytes. So I would recommend the 6950 XC over the 4070 if it's the same price. Certainly yeah. if it's cheaper. Although for the most part, I would, and it's not always this price, but I would tell people to look for a $450 6800 because that's like 30% <laughs> yeah. weaker than a 6950 XC, yes. But if it's over 30% cheaper, you still get 16 gigabytes of RAM. I think that card's going to age very, very, very well for the price at 450 So there you go. I, I would just recommend that. And it's like the most efficient card in the AMD lineup. It's like a 200 watt card while gaming. I mean, just get, get that. 
QH Freddy writes in and he says, With DLSS and FSR, there's often a lot of discussion about how many games support one or the other. But how many of those games with support would you actually want to use upscaling in? For me, basically all of them. I mean, yeah, I can say that games that have FSR, I generally use it in. I, I mean, I... Now, you have a 6700 XT, though, so you can usually benefit from that extra performance, obviously, right? Yeah, and... And uh, you game in 4K, so, like, turning on FSR 2.0 quality, the 6700 XT, am I wrong? Most of the time, that gets you to about 4K 100. Uh, it depends on the game. I mean, like, in... Uh, modern and like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, yeah, that gets me to about 90, 100 frames a second on average. And it, with turned without, up settings, though, right? Yeah. And with uh, out upscaling, um, I'm not going to be playing it. <laughs> I, that would be like 60 frames per second ish. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely a benefit. I know there are some resolution purists that will say, well, you're not technically gaming in 4K anymore. And it's like, yeah, I don't really care if the image still looks good. Which I will say, Call of Duty, and this is a problem with FSR in general, with like some of the lower quality settings, things do start to look a little bit janky. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, I usually keep FSR at quality because once you're into like the performance territory with FSR, I don't know, like in Call of Duty, like the sh- shadows sometimes randomly turn blocky. And like in uh, Deep Rock Galactic on performance mode, there's just tons of artifacts with FSR, but uh, with FSR performance, but with quality that mostly goes away. And all I really see is an increase in frame rate. But ultimately, it really depends. I think it goes this way. If you're an NVIDIA user, at, at least like I, I say basically every game, I mean, uh, DLSS at the highest quality setting in 4K, it doesn't look worse or it sometimes even looks slightly better in some aspects. And so I just leave it on, if anything, to have better power consumption with my 4090, or, I mean, just to uh, make sure it's always locked at 130 hertz instead of sometimes dipping. Like, I might as well. Mm -hmm. There's really no reason for you to not turn it on with DLSS. Even in 1080p, if you have a really weak card, I find it's serviceable. Um, Whereas with FSR, I find half the time you're making a sacrifice and you only turn that on in higher resolutions as an alternative to turning it down to 720p, because it usually does look better than turning it to 720p. Although in a lot of the latest games, like uh, I do want to check here because I know Hardware Box just did a really good summary of like how I want to make sure I'm not an idiot here. So he, yeah, he said DLSS looks significantly better in Harry Potter. That's interesting to me, not because I doubt it, mm-hmm. but because I thought FSR 2.0, and maybe it's just because it's one of the first 2.0 games I've tried. <laughs> looked okay in there but i think it depends on the game as well because there are some games now where the latest fsr in the latest releases is close to dlss but there's no way around it that if it's fsr one it just looks worse especially compared to the latest version of dlss yeah and i think with i i hope amd keeps making improvements to fsr when like 3.0 comes out and their 3.0 isn't just fsr 2.1 with whatever interpolation thing they're going to be doing (laughs) i I would like to see people that can't be that yeah yeah i I would like to see benefits to the actual upscaling as well as the interpolation which i'm still not super enthusiastic about but me either not yet 
Clean Sweep writes in and he says, Hey, Tom, Gamers Nexus recently covered the 3DFX Voodoo 5 6000 and the history of how 3DFX screwed over its AIB partners by building cards themselves. Given NVIDIA's recent burning of its own AIB partners like EVGA and frustrating them with these last-minute pricing changes, how many more generations of cards do we have before NVIDIA's AIBs either jump ship to AMD or maybe Intel? Well, I'll just cut in here. AIBs fucking hate Intel, guys. Like, no. <laughs> they were told by Intel to have their AIB coolers ready, like MSI, Asus. MSI was going to have a bunch of them. They did. They, they had them designed. Mm -hmm. They were told they needed to be ready for quarter one. And they spent engineering resources designing these things. And then they were like, all right, when's it ready? And then Intel was like, oh, it's uh, on shelves quarter one this summer. And then summer was going on and they're like, why is only the A380 in China? When are we launching this? And then it ended up launching next to the 4090. And a lot of MSI, Asus, and other coolers I saw, some that, you know, I, I, I was told I couldn't leak, but I've seen some of these cooler designs, like from MSI, they, they never came out because oh, I mean, most it was a waste of money. And I'm, every AIB I've talked to says in, Intel will have to have two good generations before we ever work with those a-holes again, because we spent all this money making these coolers and they didn't even launch it until like a year after they told us they would. So let's put it this way. AIBs will not be jumping ship to Intel. Well, I, um, I mean, how many, how many AIB models were even available? All, all I ever there's really There's ASRock and then it didn't. I'm looking Ace at Nuix. Just make one. I'm looking at, I, I see two AIB models and then the, the reference with the uh, forever hilarious limited edition A770 still available to buy on Newegg. Even though they made almost none of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyways, continuing his question though, or will they just get out of the business like EVGA? With how NVIDIA GPUs dominate professional and AI tasks, I don't see them going out of business, but a decent chunk of NVIDIA's AIBs are just focused on making GPUs for consumers. I don't, um, I, there's one I have in mind that I could see going bankrupt or having issues with NVIDIA in the next couple of years. I'm not going to say which one, but I will say it's just one for now. It's not to say it couldn't become more, but at least you talk to people at Asus or, you know, MSI, they're like, what do you want us to do? We got to work with NVIDIA. And some of them, I won't say which ones have kind of talked to like, they don't really care that. They're like, some of them were almost like, you know, whatever EVGA, we can know how to run a business, even if you don't. So I don't know how much of that is just peacocking or bluster, but mm -hmm. you know, at least from what I'm hearing, they don't like what's going on all the time, but they don't feel like they have another choice. They will not be jumping to Intel. And while they would love to work with AMD more, they just don't see AMD as someone that's going to fill that volume. So yeah. they... They're, they're, they're not. They're not going to leave, guys. And I think it, with EVGA being so heavily associated with uh, NVIDIA as a brand, clearly something behind the scenes was happening, I think, that like made it EVGA situation uniquely bad. <laughs> there, were, there were, yeah, there's, if I get into details, there were things I kind of heard behind the scenes that like the head of EVGA had personal reasons for being frustrated with NVIDIA. Not to say they weren't legitimate reasons, but they were personal. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly there was something more going on that made EVGA get out of it because that's such a drastic move for a company like EVGA to not partner with NVIDIA anymore. Uh, and who knows, I, maybe that means 
we'll start seeing some AIBs leave them, but I, I doubt a significant number of them would. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, let us now then finally, well, this was the main story, but finally move on to story number two. We need to talk about eight gigabyte and 12 gigabyte graphics cards. And so I have a small write-up here. Recently, a lot of AAA releases have seen a requirement for 4K re- games requiring 12 gigabytes or more of VRAM, playing in 1440p requiring 10 gigabytes or more, and t- even 1080p often requiring at least 8 gigabytes for decent gaming. And according to a recent interview with Unreal Engine 5 developer who joined the last Broken Silicon, this issue is not going away. It seems that moving forward, according to this developer, and also according to probably the next guest from Infinity Ward and other uh, developers I've talked to recently, it seems that moving forward, 8 gigabytes will be a low-end capacity. Honestly, kind of like how 4 gigabytes were in 2020, and how 12 gigabytes is now, for being honest, lower mid-range. And most likely, 16 gigabytes will be a mid-range standard requirement for new AAA releases very soon. Now, that's not to say that 8 gigabyte GPUs will be useless in a year, but it is to say they will often be relegated to lower settings in a 1080p resolution if you want to play the latest AAA releases. Furthermore, Hardware Unboxed just did a very interesting test of the 6800 versus the 3070 years later. And he found that even if your game of choice on paper runs okay in 1440p on the 3070, it must be noted that a lot of these games that are using like 7 gigabytes or more are loading like PS3 textures to compensate for the VRAM buffer that is overworked. So celebrate those games using only 7.5 gigabytes of VRAM in 4K if you want, but you're probably loading 720p textures half of the time And you've probably been doing that for years with your 3070 and didn't notice it. So, yeah, I thought this was a very, this this deserved its own discussion because, like, we've already been talking about this. It's already become an issue with a lot of recent releases. A lot of people say they're unoptimized, but Hardware and Box found that if you just take, like, basically every game of the past year and average it, ray tracing is almost not a feature for the 3070 already. It's losing by larger margins than it did before to the 6800. And even in games where it's getting a similar frame rate to the 6800, 16 gigabyte, yeah, it's an on-paper frame rate that's the same, but it's loading horrific textures to try to stay within the buffer, and you're getting a worse experience with these lower VRAM cards. So, I don't know, Dan, what did you think about all of this? It, it, I, I mean, I, I also think it, uh, they noted that... It, that Hardware Unbox noted that in their uh, review for the 4070 that they now consider a gigabytes entry level, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, I agree, you know, and you know that's what happens over time. I've had eight gigabytes of uh, RAM on my GPUs since 2015, and I spent I think like 350 dollars for that 30, uh, 390 I bought, uh, <laughs> or eight gigabytes plus because now I have 12, but. Eight but you gigabytes. had an eight gigabyte card that you paid like three hundred to three fifty for in twenty fifteen. People, yeah. So uh, all I'm saying is, for the past eight years ish, I've had eight gigs of RAM on plus on my graphics cards. Eight gigabytes isn't a new thing. Eight gigabytes was clearly showing its age when 
Ampere came out, I don't really know what some people expect. Like, all of these specs uh, increase over time, and for some reason they just expect games to be able to work with an 8-gigabyte buffer forever, even though, like, how much stronger have graphics cards gotten uh, from a compute mm. standpoint? Yeah, I know. Like, they, in that same amount of time, they've gone from what? The three, the 390 is how many teraflops? Like, I, I mean, it's like a 10 No, no, but it's funny because I've looked at the teraflops of last-gen consoles and then, like, the latest APUs. And I did this because I saw people... After I kind of did that ad that was like a mini review for the Minis Forum 7735HS system, mm-hmm. I think that was like a 3.5 teraflop 12 compute unit APU. And now the Phoenix system is probably going to be like eight to nine teraflops. And I'm like, oh, wow. So this is already double the PS4 Pro. It, we're, I mean, we're getting to APUs that are more teraflops than high end cards from five years ago or six years ago. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, guys. We we need to... Well, I guess it'd be like eight years ago, but it's like eight years ago, we had these APU teraflop graphics cards <laughs> that had eight gigabytes. Why would eight gigabytes still be standard? Th- there's no good argument. Like This mm-hmm. has just been cost-cutting stagnation. Yeah, and like I, I remember when you bought the, the 3070 initially, that was like one of your... One of your... The things you were worried about was the fact that it would had a only eight gigabytes of RAM and you knew that would present an issue eventually, which you upgraded before it really became an issue for you. But yeah, I think anybody that was like looking at it, honestly knew that especially like cards like the 3070 were going to start having problems within a couple of years. Um, And just this weird thing has happened where people want to see their hardware get better year over year for eternity but uh for some reason they also think that having eight gigs of ram on it is fine in perpetuity and actually a a game using more than eight gigs of ram isn't a sign of the times changing it's a sign of it being poorly optimized (laughs) which right when 10 when 10 poorly optimized games come out in a row poorly yeah i should say in quotes uh, poorly optimized games come out in a row that all use more than eight gigabytes of RAM on ultra settings. Maybe the times are changing. I know you can point to the last of us, uh, PC and say, well, that game was poorly optimized and we all know it was, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that's not the only car, uh, game that's using more than eight gigs of RAM. <laughs> well, and you were saying this to me offline, you know, at the end of the day, what's your point? Are there not a lot of games coming out that your card doesn't have enough RAM for. You can scream, you know, unoptimized and scratch at your eyes all you want, but it's still true. And you have this information that the game will not run on your card. Make whatever excuse you want. But ignoring it doesn't change the fact that those games are out there and will always be out there. And they seem very prevalent now. And it's not going to get better next year, according to Every developer I talk to, I'm really excited for this Infinity Ward dev because he's he's basically just saying, no, like you're going to need more. We're like, have fun playing the next Call of Duty in 720p, dude. It reminds me uh, because like certain like Android phones have really, really good cameras and like just shitty camera apps. Yeah. And like p- there are people that will defend Android like those phones like 
and keep buying them out on principle because the camera is better than the iPhone. And it's like, I don't know, the iPhone maybe has an, a, a worse sensor. But guess what? Those iPhone pictures look a lot better than whatever piece of shit phone you're using, even if it has an eight megapixel higher sensor or something like that. It's just. Do you are you going to get a worse thing out of principle or are you just going to accept that this is reality and get a card with more RAM if you want to play at 4K or accept that you're going to be playing games in 1080p and 1440p because 8 gigs of RAM isn't enough at 1080p and 1440p anymore. Well, and again, the thing that annoys me is people acting like this is some surprise this year. Like you said, in my 3070 review in in early 2021 is when I did it, I hammered home that there were obvious examples of it already being an issue. Like, I went from a 16 gigabyte Radeon 7, again, a card that was $700 in 2019 <laughs> with 16 gigabytes of RAM NVIDIA. And yes, you know, the, the, the Radeon 7 was ultimately probably around the performance of like a 3060 or something. But, um, you know, it could game in 4K half the time with the games I was playing, especially if they're a year old or more. And I found going from the, you know, Radeon 7 to the 3070, which I guess from the previous generations, you would say that's like going from a 2080 performance to a 2080 Ti's level of performance. There were games where I had to turn down settings that were getting, I think in Resident Evil 2, I was getting... 4K 100-ish on the Radeon 7. And so my monitor maxed out at the time before I've overclocked it now at 120 hertz. And so I didn't really need more frame rate, but I had to eventually turn it to 1440p with a 3070. And I noted that there are a lot of benchmarks online of Resident Evil 2 running okay on 8 gigabytes with the 3070 and 4K. But if you go for more than 30 minutes, you don't just run a benchmark. You've run play for 30 minutes and go to like the sewer area mm -hmm. there was nothing i could do with settings i had to go to 1440p i couldn't just turn down textures and i was like so here's a game that's a couple years old already i have to turn down settings in 4k to say gigabyte card that was two years ago guys like it, you were warned you were warned by me you were warned by hardware unboxed uh, in the 3080 review like if you turned on ray tracing and played for an hour in battlefield 5 the frame rate crashed because it was built for 11 gigabytes so i don't know i it was never allocation there were multiple examples of 10 gigabytes not being enough for 4k and 8 gigabytes clearly barely being enough for 1440p years ago this isn't new yeah i i mean it's like um it, it's like there's been a you parked your car in a train track and like a freight train has slowly been approaching you for two years and people are like hey man a freight train is going to be here you need to move your car and then the freight train finally hits your car and you're like well where the hell did this come from everybody warned you <laughs> and again i understand even for the past three years there's been plenty of games that in 4k used only six gigabytes you know only five gigabytes whatever but that's not like a third of the ram like most games were using over six gigabytes and 4K and even often in 1440p years ago. So so add a couple years. Like and and again, the people that say these games are unoptimized, 
it's not like the other games are at four gigabytes. They're all at the limits. Yeah, and it's not like I I have doubt. I, I don't think any game will come out that runs in 4K I'm with sure less than eight gigs of RAM. Yeah, there will be some forever. I doubt it. I, you're going to see more and more AAA games over time use eight gigabytes plus of RAM, though, because guess what? Every new card that's coming out now has eight plus gigs of RAM. Uh, I mean, has more than eight gigs of RAM. Their devs are going to start designing their games for that, and frankly. Uh, this is a big issue with PC in general. Uh, we all talk about how much better the PC PCs are than the consoles, but the consoles don't have shit IO compared to the PC, <laughs> which is yeah. making a difference for being able to move data around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just thought this was worth pointing out, especially after that hardware unboxed video and after talking to an Unreal Engine 5 developer, because it's not just that there's been like half a dozen games with issues uh, with 8 and 12 gigabyte cards right now. But it's also that in the games that technically run, apparently they're loading 720p textures now. That means in a year, yeah, y- there's nothing you can do. So, I mean, just you've been warned. And I guess the last thing I'd want to say about this is if you're someone who's pissed off that your 3070 or 3070 Ti has run out of RAM if your decision is, oh, well, so I'll go from 8 gigabytes in 2021 to 12 gigabytes in 2023, you've learned nothing. Unless you want to upgrade your card next generation, which it's fine if that's what you're doing, but I, I, I wouldn't buy I wouldn't buy a 12 gigabyte card and be like, I'm going to be and think I'm going to be gaming in 4K for four years with that thing. <laughs> you know, me and Steve talked about this. 8 gigabyte cards should be under 300 now 12 gigabyte cards should be under 400 that's it like it's done probably yeah <laughs> this piece of content is brought to you by silver knights pcs silver knights pcs is a disabled veteran-owned gpu and cpu retailer pc repair shop and boutique pc builder that is located in north carolina but ships globally. They do it all. If you are in the area, drop by their location at 1324 Bragg Boulevard in Fayetteville, North Carolina to pick up reasonably priced components that come with up to a three-year warranty, and you can even trade in parts for refurbishment as well, or go to their website and use their new PC customization tool to put together the blueprints for your dream PC that they will be happy to consult with you on before building and shipping it to you. They're easy to talk to. The owner of the company even sat down and had a candid conversation with me during the pandemic shortages years ago. And so I know from firsthand experience that they do a good job. In fact, the RTX 4090 Supreme Liquid in my PC used to render this ad was sent to me by them after having its thermal paste and pads custom upgraded. So I know they ship high quality stuff. And whether you're in the Fayetteville area looking to buy a graphics card in person, or you want to custom order something from them online, or even shop on their ebay store click the link in the description and use offer code broken silicon to get six percent off all orders this helps me a lot this helps them and i am genuinely happy to get their sponsorship as they really are a business that i can stand by as genuinely reliable go to silvernightpcs.com and use offer code broken silicon today QH Freddy writes in and he says, we're seeing the introduction of 24 gigabit DDR5 dies recently. 
uh, on 12 and 24 gigabyte modules. Will we see these intermediate capacities at all on GDDR? Yes, I'm told that there is a 24 gigabit standard for the chips uh, for GDDR7. And that NVIDIA is actually pretty mad. Those won't be ready for at least a year and a half from now uh, because, or for at least a couple of years, because at least what I'm hearing from my NVIDIA context, they've basically been telegraphing to me that obviously we already basically know this. The 4060 is going to be an eight gigabyte card. I've also yeah. been told the 5060 sounds like it's 128 bit and therefore will also be a eight gigabyte card. I actually leaked that in a recent uh, video. And, you know, I, I've told them, you know, then don't launch it. Yeah, like, I mean, because what's in two years will not cut it for anything but a one fifty dollar card. Because what at one twenty eight bits, at one twenty eight bit, they they could have twelve gigabytes right with that intermediate. Uh, exactly. Yeah, which, they could put twelve gigabytes on a one twenty eight bit card. Sounds good for three hundred bucks to me. Yeah, which that can't come soon enough. Maybe with intermediate capacities, it, Nvidia will be slightly less stingy with their RAM. Well, yeah, because their plan is they want to keep the die as small as possible. IO doesn't shrink with node size. And it also, if they use a smaller bus, allows them to fit a 4090 laptop card in previous gen, you know, 2070, you know, like, yeah, well, 2070. Yeah, I mean, that's two gens ago, but, you know, and it allows them to fit 4070 or, you know, the 106 die in what would have usually only fit the 107 die. So that's why they want to do this. It allows them to take up less space on the board with less DRAM modules. But it sounds like in the low end, they might be screwed for a year or so. Yeah. And we're going to have to see, because I think this is an evolving story where NVIDIA might have to reevaluate their decisions here. Um, Mark writes in, he says, we've heard that IO does not shrink when put on newer nodes, but what about the power to drive it? Monolithic to monolithic, does the memory interface on a graphics card with the same bus width require less energy at the same memory clock Comparing, for example, if that I.O. portion of the die was on four nanometer versus six nanometer, is the energy consumption of this component negligible? Anyways, no, it isn't. It uses actually quite a bit of energy in recent cards, relatively speaking. Uh, and Wood does a seven nanometer I.O. die on Ryzen save power compared to a 14 nanometer one. Yes. And Mark, you should know that the reason my audio sound has slightly changed and the reason that the people watching this podcast now have just a screenshot of an NVIDIA mobile graphics card on screen, is that although I did answer your question live during the initial recording with Dan, I think my answer was pretty good, but it wasn't perfect. And after the recording was done, I got input from a graphics card engineer at one of the major graphics card companies. And so, well, I thought I'd redo this question so I could get you guys the legit answer, because I think this is an important question Mark asks in relation to my recent content. So, well, from an actual graphics card engineer, the answer is sadly no. That 30% quote from TSMC for going from five nanometer to three nanometer is only for the core logic. IO power improves along with the GDDR standard though, and GDDR7 is lower power than GDDR6 per bit transferred, but that's mostly orthogonal from the GPU process. So for example, Ampere and Lovelace running the same RAM have similar IO power per bit, but Lovelace saves significant power from the larger L2, keeping data on chip, 
so there's less traffic going out to DRAM. So if you look at what RDNA 4 might do from RDNA 3, the power savings are most likely just going to come from going to a new GDDR standard, by the way, not from ever moving the MCD to a smaller node. Now, that is a, at least what one graphics engineer told me. I'm sure there's some nuance to it that another engineer could write in. You know, the email to Moore's Law is dead is on the YouTube channel uh, if you go to the About section. So any graphics engineer can write in and give some input. But that is at least one senior professional's input on it. And I think that's interesting. And I think that tells you again why NVIDIA is making the decision they are making by trying to keep the bus width as small as possible on monolithic dies. And that also tells you why AMD insisted on using six nanometer for the memory dies for RDNA 3. And kind of sounds like that's what they'll probably do for RDNA 4 as well, if this is true. But anyways, back to the normal show. QH Freddy writes in and he says, how do you think Navi 33 is stacking up against Navi 21 now? In early leaks, I recall you saying it could get pretty close in 1080p to some of the Navi 21 cards. Could it still be a 192-bit card and do that, or will they go down to 128-bit and drop a lot of performance? Well, we already know Navi 33 is 128-bit from public information he's put about, about the uh, 7600 MXT. And he says, is it going to be around 3060 Ti to 3070 performance? As you said in the last loose ends, isn't that spectacular considering the 6650 XT gets within a kicking distance of the 3060 Ti already? Well, so Navi 33 is, I think, 204 millimeters squared. And from what I'm hearing, it depend, put it however you want, between 6700 and 6800 or between 3060 Ti and 3070. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty close yeah, cards, pretty right? Much the same. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at in 1080p here. And we already know from publicly, you know, benchmarked cards that at least it's beating a 30, a 4060 laptop card if you push it. So we don't know yet. That 4060 card on desktop is expected to be 3060 Ti. I think we can comfortably say it's going to be at least around there. And it all just depends on, okay, so this can use up to 120 watts on laptop it, it does it max out then at 120 watts in performance or can they push it another 50 watts on desktop and get another 30 percent performance we don't know <laughs> but it is 128 bit my estimate of upper navi 22 to ab scratching the surface of navi 21 and 1080p doesn't really change and that is impressive considering its die size is like more than 10 percent smaller than navi 23, meaning they can charge less. And so when you say, you know, I think a lot of people are like, should they give it a 192 bit bus or give it more, for more RAM? Well, it's going to be 128 bit. I think what they should do is just make it $300 with eight gigabytes. That's the solution here. Give it, three, yeah. make it three, mm. they they're already selling these other cards for like 250 that cost more to make. Make this 300 at most 330. I think $350 people would think it's stupid. Um, and give it eight gigabytes and then allow AIBs to clamshell on another eight gigabytes, which would make it probably a three fifty to $400 card. And I think you're done. You know, I think if they did that, that's the way to go about it. You could have these 300 to $350 cards that match or beat the 4060 for less money with eight gigabytes. And then you could have an eight, a 16 gigabyte variant that maybe gets close to 4060 TI performance and has double the RAM for the same price. I think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, and I think a, a card at like $300 that 
does 1080p high frame rate gaming pretty well would be uh very much welcome in the current environment so i don't know there's definitely a space (laughs) for something that performs well at 1080p that isn't just i don't know the 6500 xt again (laughs) like nvidia i mean like amd seems to uh seem to have hinted at with their last generation for some reason well yeah and let's just be clear about this i mean I think there's going to be some people too who jump in here and go, well, you just complained about NVIDIA's, you know, eight gigabyte cards. What about AMD? And I'm like, well, yeah, but NVIDIA is still selling the 3070 Ti for over $600. If you make it 300, fine. It, yeah, that yeah, yeah. is low end. And an eight gigabyte card that's meant for like 1080p, like medium setting gaming, maybe high setting gaming is fine uh, with eight gigabytes. And frankly, like, I don't know how much benefit you really get out of ha- loading higher than like medium or high textures at 1080p anyways. So you're not really losing much by not mm-hmm. being able to do 1080p ultra if it goes over that 8 gigabyte uh, capacity. Mr. Sideburns writes in and he asks, in the last loose ends, Tom, you mentioned that AMD may be implementing hardware fixes to make chiplet RDNA th- 3 run without artifacts, that artifact bug the Navi 32 variants. If this is true, do you think it is possible that we may have another Radeon 7 versus 5700 XT situation, where the 5700 XT released six months after the Radeon 7 and was slightly faster despite being a smaller die on the same node? Do you think top Navi 32 could match the 7900 XT? Well, it wasn't. Uh, Radeon 7 was stronger than the 5700 XT. You misremember. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that's true anymore. It wouldn't surprise me if RDNA 1's aged better. And I, not a lot of people benchmark the Radeon 7 anymore. <laughs> um, you know, what happened is the Radeon 7 launched for $700 early 2019. Then late 2019, 5700 XT launched. That was like 5 to 15% weaker. But, no, wait, it, yeah, that didn't support ray tracing either, though. Yeah. But it had half the RAM, but it used less energy. So, no. Like, um, what... What I would say is you misremember the performance difference. Unless yeah, you're saying I mean, I'm wrong here, right? If you got the Radeon 7 and then the 5700 XT came out later, I don't think you would like feel burned by getting the... You <laughs> double the RAM and it's... I, I was one of those people. It's 50, and I used it for rendering, so... Yeah, and it had way better compute, but... Yeah. Which, if that matters to you, it's if you're gaming. It, it doesn't, really. Well, but. remember, everyone now is an AI researcher because NVIDIA has CUDA, so... Um, <laughs> just like everyone uh, just overnight became a content creator because Vega was better at that. That's so stupid, that double standard I see in the comments. But, um, you know, do I think Navi 32 can match the 7900 XT? I mean, the 7900 XT performs 20% worse than the 7900 XTX right now. Uh, that compute part of the die I mean, we're talking about something that's 50% bigger. So you're something 20% weaker on a die, 50% bigger. If they got fixes in Navi 32 that allowed them to have this thing run at like 3.2 gigahertz and stay below 250 watts or something, or even 300 watts, I don't think it will. You know, I think the best you would see is it's within 10%. Which, which, mm. if you remember Radeon 7 correctly, my friend, would be similar to that situation where the Radeon 7 remains stronger but the other one was a lot more cost effective. Yeah, and if you get a 7800 XT that's 10% weaker than the 7900 XT, I think you just get a card that you can price slightly higher than they would have anticipated. It's mm-hmm. it's not 
completely upsetting the uh, their hierarchy. <laughs> but again, let's be very clear. I don't know for a fact that Navi32 has a fix, nor a good fix. I think it has some sort of partial fix because it seems to be coming out later than expected, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So don't expect this to be like a 3.5 gigahertz monster here, guys. But I do think it will clock faster than the 7900 XT. And so it'll be 10 to 20% weaker, which the 7900 XT like basically barely edges out the 6950 XT by like 10% or something, I believe, 10 to 15%. It was 20% weaker. Yeah, they if it's if it's 20% weaker than that, you're looking at 6900 X 6800 XT to 6900 XT performance, 16 gigabytes. They'd probably call it the 7800 XTX in charge, 600 to 700. Mm-hmm. They want to be generous, 600. That's what I think they should do, by the way, because that would crush the, uh, if they launch it for the same price as the 4070, that'd be a huge deal. But I think that's what you should expect. Swiggles writes in and he says, do you think it's time for a paradigm shift? It feels like PC gaming has long gotten too bloated with SKUs and how powerful the components are getting, but they are too disconnected and spread apart on these large motherboards that have bad latency. The PS5 finally being taken advantage of is starting to show the cracks in how games are made. I mean, I don't think it's time for a paradigm shift. I think it's time for a few things. And it's funny. I've seen so many people, by the way, Dan, talk about, oh, we need a VRAM offloading accelerator card that I put in the other PCIe slot, or I need this, or I need that. Like, guys, that accelerator card would have Massive latency penalties, number one. Number two would probably cost hundreds of dollars. You know what's cheaper? If NVIDIA spends $30 and gives you 16 gigabytes, that's all it would cost to add eight more gigabytes. We hypothesized about this like in 2020, uh, talking about how eventually it would lead the better IO on the PS5 and the Series X would lead to an issue where with uh, PC gaming where... Oh, what was it? They these cards wouldn't have enough RAM anymore. And what what's the possible solution? Who knows? Maybe they start putting like cheap NVMe drives or something on the graphics card or some bullshit like that. Or I maybe- asked someone at Nvidia about that, by the way, and the Unreal Engine Five Dev, and they were both like, "Let's just put thirty two gigs of RAM." <laughs> yeah, or maybe we get way better I/O. I wouldn't complain if I/O got better uh, on PC. So. They, these Gen 5 SSDs that people are buying are actually being fully utilized. But an obvious solution that I think is was what was always going to happen is just increasing the amount of RAM you have on a graphics card to like, I don't know, 8 gigabytes is the low end, 32 gigabytes is the high end. Hopefully most things hit like the 16 to 24 gigabyte tier. And yeah. that that's the shift that needs to happen if you want PCs to catch up to the I to uh, mitigate the IO issues that they have versus consoles. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, is it time for a paradigm shift? No, we just need, we need guys, we need 12 gigabyte entry level cards, 16 gigabyte mid range cards, and 32 gigabyte high end cards. If we do that, and then everyone, and this is going to have to happen though, devs are going to have to mandate Gen 3 NVMe SSDs as well, I think. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it's a lot of games don't allow you to use a hard drive anymore, right? Um, Yes. Or, yeah, well, you know, I never brought this up. I did some testing with um, Harry Potter on my girlfriend's old laptop before I got her that Minis Forum uh, APU PC to play it, which plays it fine, 1080p60. Um, And she had a hard drive for some reason 
this like excavator laptop. And I bought a 400 megabyte per second, you know, bandwidth USB drive to plug in it. And the Harry Potter game went from crashing within a minute to technically running at like 10, 20 frames a second. <laughs> at minimum settings look terrible. But I thought that was hilarious. Like I didn't even change the drive the OS was running on. I just put in something a little slower than a SATA SSD. And it went from not running to running. And that alone yeah. tells you it's devs are basically, and you can see in the Harry Potter requirements, they're like, you, you probably need an SSD. They don't require it, but they basically require SATA SSDs by now. And I, I think within a year, you're going to see a lot of games required. And the recommended specs, I'll say Gen 3 NVMe SSD or Gen 4. Yeah. They might even just say Gen 4, because that way, if you're using a bargain bin Gen 4, they know you're at least Gen 3 speed. But, you know, I, th I think that's undoubtedly coming. And again, we don't need a paradigm shift. We need NVMe drives as standard. We need 32 gigabytes of RAM and your PC for DDR. And you need at least 16 gigabytes on the graphics card, maybe 24 in a few years. Not right now, in a few years. And if they do that, it's, it's basically problem solved, guys. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a little funny. Like, the stuff we were talking about when the PS5 and Series X initially come out came out the things you were talking about on this channel and like just us talking about in casual conversation oh are all coming true pcs need to start moving to requiring ssds for gaming a lot of games are requiring that now or heavily recommending you have a hard uh, i mean a solid state drive and oh the these small uh, ram buffers are beginning to become an issue <laughs> and again we don't need to fundamentally change how we run PC games on PC. We need NVIDIA to spend $30 on RAM for a mid-range card extra when they're already charging this much. We need you to spend 20 more dollars on a nice SSD over the cheap one. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that sounds a lot simpler than fundamentally changing everything else. Um, yes. Way of the Lao writes in and says, Hi, guys. I love hearing the discussions on the show. I found Broken Silicon six months ago and eagerly await new ones every week. You'll have to forgive me if this comes off as rude when I ask this then. I am a fan, but what do you mean prices are going down and stock is sitting on shelves? I live in a rural area in the southwest of the United States, and the Best Buy is the only place to shop for electronics here. They do not usually release GPU stock in the store for people to look at and buy it. I can buy them online, but the same model doesn't stay on the shelves long when it comes to the 4090. Still hard for me to find that. Furthermore, some models of the 4080 sell out on the site. It's the same for Newegg. I know it's a big world with many other places to shop for them, but what do you mean? My dude, I, I checked when I was putting this script together. Maybe, Dan, you can double check right now while I'm talking. But I saw the 4080 at MSRP uh, and some models below MSRP. I saw multiple 4090 models at MSRP and refurbished models of the 4090 below MSRP. And my contacts keep sending me pictures of warehouses of these graphics cards. I don't know what to say. Like, have you forgotten last gen? The 3090 was like three grand for years. The 3080 was $1,500 half the time into 2022. We're not even a year after launch, and you can get some of these high end cards for under MSRP, including AMD cards like the 7900 XTX. So I don't yeah. know what you're doing. I don't know where you're not looking. Yeah. I mean, this is just how hardware works now. There's never, things usually aren't reliably in stock. But it is very clearly different right now from what it was like two years ago, where you can, if you look around a little bit, you can usually find a 4080 in stock, especially if you 
like live next to uh if you like live next to a micro center they pretty much always have at least one of the models of like all of the high-end cards in stock now at least like the one in boston which is the one that's closest to me seems to usually have stuff in stock and yeah new egg goes out of stock for everything pretty frequently but uh it's also it, it, from my experience looking at new egg it's kind of a coin flip if things are if the card you're looking for will be available to buy or not and it's usually at or near msrp i'm looking at the 4080 aces tough on new egg right now msrp free shipping i'm looking at the gigabyte uh whatever it is version it's below it's 30 dollars below msrp it is in stock free shipping so where am i looking anywhere i look <laughs> yeah like right now i can buy i can the PNY if, I want to, MSRP. if i want to i can add this gigabyte one to my cart for 1150 bucks yeah there's one for 1150 yeah. and and again and i've seen people i think in the loose sense someone asked like how long do we have to wait for prices to go down guys they're already like 100 200 cheaper than they were a couple of months ago people waiting they, they're going down in price yeah and, and it's just you're seeing a lot of cards already go below msrp things are i uh, <laughs> either well availability is way better i mean at the end of the day i can't declaratively say if that's because there's more stock or if there's less demand but either way if you yeah. want to buy a card it's easier to buy one right now all right speaking of things that are easy to buy let us move on to a product that is currently hard to buy wow. with story i know very impressive transition with story number three amd ryzen 7 7800 x3d review gaming efficiency for the win that is the title from TechSpot, which i'm quoting for this write-up simply put the ryzen 7 7800 x3d is the zen 4 3d vcache cpu that you should all be interested in it's fast and extremely power efficient for some reason amd decided it would be a good idea to delay the release of this model and instead lead with the 7950 x3d and the 7900 x3d both of which arrived about a month ago but this is the one you actually want the 7950 x3d is by no means a bad product but it is a niche cpu that doesn't make sense from a pure gaming standpoint but just one of the two ccds armed with vcache the 16 core 7950 x3d is heavily dependent on windows addressing the correct core complex die and that just doesn't always happen Conversely, the 7800X3D basically matched the 7950X3D in our testing, making it just 3% faster than the 13900K. Well, that's technically a win for AMD. We think it's fair to say overall the performance is similar. Uh, let me see. But it is worth noting that that performance for the 13900K, 5% of that comes from using DDR5 6400 to 7200. So with more affordable memory, the 7800X3D can be around 7 or 8% or even faster than that than Intel's much more expensive flagship. The 7800 X3D is one of the fastest gaming CPUs on the market, therefore, no matter what. And it's also by far the most power efficient while giving a high level of value compared to other flagships for $450. Yes, there are better deals overall, like the 7700 non-X or even the 7600, but they're also slower. So when it comes to top-tier gaming performance, the value of the 7800 X3D cannot be beaten right now if you want top-tier performance. You could also throw this thing on the absolute cheapest of AM5 boards you can find. We are talking about $100 here. And then the 7800X3D will still perform as shown in this review. And that is not something you can say about the i9-13900K, 
which is a MOSFET imploder on low-end boards. Well, it doesn't really blow them up, but it will heavily power limit itself and degrade its performance well below the 7800X3D. So, at the end of the day, arguing about which is the fasting gaming CPU between these is kind of silly. It's the very definition of a waste of time. They're all fast gaming CPUs. There's no chance any gamer will be able to tell them apart when actually gaming most of the time. Unless they stick their hand in the case, I guess, and you might notice the extra 100 watts of heat coming off of the i9. The, our, therefore, the Ryzen 7 7800X3D has impressed us with this performance. We're not blown away by the FPS figures so much as we are blown away by the power efficiency, but how much gamers care about efficiency is hard to say. So, yep, there you go. There's the write-up. I just used a hardware unbox slash tech spot. What do you think of the 7800X3D, Dan? Uh, I mean, obviously, I think it's if you're building a strictly gaming pc uh, this is clearly the best thing to get on the market if you're buying new parts uh and then i would say if you're trying to stick to an old platform and you're like still on am4 maybe getting the 5800 x3d is still a, a viable option but from where i see it 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 seems like this i think the 7700 and the 7800 x3d are the two CPUs to get right now for gaming, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, 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 if you want to save, well, based on pricing right now, if you want to save a decent amount of money, <laughs> the seventy seven hundred is a great option. And if you want to have the best gaming CPU on the market, uh, wait for it to drop in price a little bit to actually hit closer to its MSRP. <laughs> Yeah, and when I look around online, it's sold out on AMD.com. It's in stock on Amazon, but it's, but it's you know, 550, the, I think. The so. algorithm threw it up to 550. Uh, and on Newegg, just for completionism, let us see, 520. Ooh, $30 cheaper. Oh, and it's a limited time offer that it's $520. The funny thing is, is that would still be cheaper than an i9 while using like a third the energy. So I guess that's why it's selling out. This is the enthusiast gaming CPU people are choosing. And it's one that I can recommend for pure enthusiast gamers or people with a small form factor build. You can put you can put a low profile cooler on this thing and you're gonna get 99% of the performance. Not true with not true with Zen 4 and doubly not true with uh the Raptor Lake i9s or i7s or i5s really. I mean, those ones use 200 watts actually. So, I mean, what I like about it is even though it's not the best price performance, at least you're paying more, not just for another 10% gaming performance probably. Although sometimes I know it's like 50%, but you're also paying more for half the power usage. So at least it's like you are getting the most premium product in every department. And I just, you know, I don't see the point in getting a 7950X3D for a similar overall reason to the i9, um, except it's different supporting reasons, it's like, I just don't see who this is for. I don't see who needs... I know developers have told me they love the 7950X3D, but most people here aren't developers, I assume. Oh, uh, and, Yeah, I guess developer would specifically kind of make sense for the X3D. Uh, the, uh, the it's really good at like code compiling. They have the extra threads. So I get it. But I'm just saying, if you're going to do multi-threaded stuff, I don't see who the i9's for, because the amount you're going to have to spend on RAM cooling, expensive motherboards that won't explode when you turn on the i9, and then the extra power consumption, you'll save the 5% in multi-threading. Or in some multi-threading apps, the 7950X wins in like half of them anyways. So you probably just go for the 7950X. 
And then if you're gaming, well, either you want a good price performance or you want the best. And at least with the best here, it's also the most efficient. So I like the 7800X 3D. I really don't think the 7900X 3D should exist. <laughs> and I think the 7950X 3D, there's an argument that shouldn't either from my perspective. But, you know, we've discussed that agnosium and other pieces of content. Yeah. And this, yeah, the 7950X 3D, it's just, if you're a gamer, the 7800X 3D is a better option. Sure, maybe there's like a, a couple scenarios with the 7950X 3D where if you're like really making sure you're keeping track of everything, you, you'll overall get better performance by like disabling certain uh, CCDs when you decide to play a certain game. Or you cannot be incredibly uh, pedantic about a few frames and just get the 7800X3D and overall get basically the same performance you would get with the 7950X3D and save a few hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, that's really all I have to say about this. Um, you know, we already did an over one hour die shrink on the 7800X3D and what it means for the market long term, Intel versus AMD. That's a over one hour video breaking things down based on uh, fan submissions for those who support us on Patreon. So please $2 a month will get you access to that. Otherwise I'm going to move on because the reviews really weren't that surprising to me. QH Freddy writes in and he says, do you think it would have been worth it for AMD to push Vcache optimization more towards frequency to avoid stunting the clocks on the desktop X3D parts? Well, first of all, Vcache was really made for servers. So it's a happy accident that it boosts gaming performance. Um, additionally, so it's always going to be server first, and that's mm -hmm. optimized for lower voltages. But having said that, I just have to say, I, I've leaked this, Angstronomics has leaked this, I know there's 5.9 gigahertz yields of Zen 4 before it even came out. For all I know, there are some yields that at the higher voltages can hit 6 gigahertz sustainably. But those are all going to Epic, clocked lower to use less energy. I don't know if the 7800X3D could be a 5.5 gigahertz part if they gave it the best yields, but they're taking so much server market share, they're not even going to consider doing that. So yeah. that, I, I can't answer this question, QH Freddy, without knowing how bad of yields it's getting, because I suspect they're not the best yields. Yeah, I mean, if they're selling, if they're selling all of their gangbusters and server, it, it just makes sense that they would, Put all of their highest bend, uh, in all of their best yields in server because that makes is higher margin than this. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's unfortunate with like the uh, PC gaming, uh, but to an extent, PC gaming, you're getting the you're getting the rejects from server in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't know for sure. And. Uh, I mean, for gamers, I don't know. There's an argument that hopefully Zen five can hit six gigahertz with Vcache, but at the end of the day, Vcache is meant for servers, and I don't think they're going to fundamentally change the design for gamers, most likely. That might change next gen, though, because they seem to be going for clocks more in server, even more so than now, though. We'll see. Yeah. Chris Richcrutson, is buying a 7800X3D today similar to stretching to get a 12 or 16 gigabyte card in 2020? What I'm saying is, if you want your CPU to last three to five years in gaming, it's probably your best option. If you're happy to upgrade everyone to two years, though, it's probably overkill. Sure, something like an 8-core Zen 5 will likely be a bit faster on gaming on average. Oh, I think so. And in productivity casts, oh, it's going to crush in productivity. In particular, 
but I wouldn't expect it to be much cheaper on release. The 7800 X3D is also low maintenance in the sense that it works fine on cheap motherboards, cheap memory, and cheap coolers. I mean, I think people who got the 5800 X3D don't regret it, so I just say it's pretty much the same situation. If you need it now, you want it now, there's a lot of games that just scale absurdly better than the average forever, and yeah, uses less energy. Yeah, I don't know. And I would add about like the distinction between like the this is good for the three to five year upgrade type person. I know there are people that upgrade yearly to every generation, but like, do you really need a CPU more than every three to five years? <laughs> I mean, I, I I think all I'm saying is I think three to five years upgraders describes most people when it comes to cpus at least Mm -hmm. well and you know so i think overall it's the same situation as the 5800 x3d but but with a couple key differences number one the 5800 x3d was not the best gaming cpu i actually Mm -hmm. recommended alder lake over it most of the time again unless you already had ddr4 well no i mean because you can use ddr4 with alder lake unless you already had uh an am4 system but this time it is the best. And Intel probably doesn't have anything that'll beat it for a year. And so at least now for the same price as what the 5800X3D was at launch. I mean, now it is the best and it will be for a year. The 5800X3D really wasn't. It was just arguably the best. And so I guess that's that little extra little star on top of. But in the, even though Zen 5's coming and you can upgrade now, it is actually the best now too. So overall, it's just... I mean, come on, guys. It's the best gaming CPU. There will be better ones in a year. That's not going to change next year, though, either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Especially with what we know from what I've leaked with Zen 5. Now that we move to story number four. Jesse here loves sticks, but it definitely wouldn't be healthy if I just let her chow down on them all the time as much as she would like to. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals for humans. It's easy to feel stuck looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you consider Vite Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their class packages that make it easy for you to add protein and other ingredients of your choice to make a complete hearty meal or their ramen go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15 minute lunch break whether at the office or at home click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a variety of different products including special bundles just for moore's laws dead fans raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes and other food products cooking into utensils and more. And when you order this spring, know that Vite just shut down for three months and relaunched their entire operation to improve speed, customer service, and just to improve things in the back end so they can keep up with how popular their product has become. Supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference. But I really do like their product and I recommend it. So if you're hungry for something that's healthy, cheap, and easy to make, check out Vite Ramen and use offer code broken silicon today. Two big Zen 5 leaks came out of Moore's Laws Dead in the past fortnight, and this is the gist of them. Zen 5 is launching in the first half of 2024, possibly quarter one even, and at least the first Zen 5 launched parts are going to have eight core CCXs on eight core chiplets that utilize 
TSMC's four nanometer node for the desktop and Turin standard variants. What that means is, yep, 16 cores on AM5 yet again, but in server, 128 cores with Epic. However, AMD has designed at least a 16 core CCX, maybe higher or a little lower than that too. I don't know what other variants they've designed, but I know for a fact they've designed a unified 16 core CCX designed for three nanometer for Zen 5. And that will at least be seen in Bergamo next and Serrano. Serrano is the successor to Sienna guys with Zen 5C, but it could also be seen with a unified 16 core Zen 5 product as well if TSMC's yields improve sufficiently. That means Bergamo Next goes up to 192 cores of Zen 5C for now, but I have no reason to believe they couldn't launch a 16-core unified version of Zen 5 too. And I want to be clear about why I say that. They're the same architecture. Zen 5, Zen 5C, are the, they're the same architecture, guys. The only difference is more cash on there. So if they spent the money to do a hard design for Zen 5C, it's a unified 16-core CCX. They There's probably, probably one for Zen 5 standard. Yeah. yeah. That and makes even sense. If the, even if the die is too big, by the way, to fit two of them on AM5, they can make an IO die that fits one unified 16 core and probably get an overall performance boost just from doing that. So just mm. remember, that is possible. And it is still possibly possible as well that they have a, I know, that they have a 32 <laughs> core version uh, of Zen 5 or at least a 32 core version of Zen 5C for AM5 whenever the yields are good enough. And again, this is different than Bergamo. Bergamo uses two eight-core CCXs per 16-core chiplet. Not the case here. They designed a full 16-core uh, IP block. So just that, that that's the distinction, but I think I had to make that clear. Moving forward, though, as for the IPC, Moore's Law is Dead has leaked that Zen 5 should get at least around a 20% IPC increase, if not higher. And this is mostly coming from the addition of more combined L1 cache per core compared to Zen 4 but also a fully redesigned architecture. does not seem like at least, I did ask someone else back this up for now. It doesn't seem like L2 and L3 are going up significantly in the four nanometer variant. I've heard there could be more L2 cache for the three, some of the three nanometer variants, which was interesting, but at least the four nanometer Zen 5, it seems like it's mostly from L1 and they just redid the architecture. And so, yeah, I mean, th they can give you 20% more IPC with a similar family of nodes, supposedly, <laughs> without rapidly increasing massively increasing the cache. And furthermore, Moore's Law's sources indicate that Zen 5 seems to be getting a single-digit clock speed bump. And this is backed up by a leaked snapshot of Windows Task Manager running on a Turin system that was boosting to 3.85 gigahertz with a 64-core variant, whereas Genoa variants right now only boost to 3.75 gigahertz, which is a big deal considering this is A0 silicon. And so there you go. AMD Zen 5 seems to be clearly on track, likely launching in quarter one of next year, if not quarter two at the latest. And although the 16 core stagnation on AM5 will undoubtedly disappoint some people, it will be 16 cores that because they use the same family of node as Zen 4 does right now at TSMC, should cost the same to manufacture and should not see a big pricing increase unless AMD gets greedy. And they will be 25 to 35% better again, just around a year after Zen 4 came out. Oh. And DDR5 support should go up to at least 7,200 megatransfer on server, which means probably 8,000 or more on desktop. The IO die is slightly improved, so expect, you know, again, better memory controller, a little bit better graphics, newer USB, but nothing crazy in the IO die. And I'm also, I added this last minute here. Uh, I am told, and I wasn't quite sure what some of my sources were talking about before I put the video up, but I've had more clarification. That those 64 core Turin variants that I 
had the Cinebench leak for, apparently they had AI accelerator chiplets on them. Now, hmm. I don't think that would have helped Cinebench, but just so you know, yeah, it's a separate chiplet with like a Xilinx accelerator on standard turn. So that's new information. I think that's exciting. Okay, I'm tired. What do you think is Zen 5, Dan? All I can say is like with without a core count increase in uh, Zen 5 next year, hopefully we'll see something come of those uh, 16 core CCXs for the standard core design on like Threadripper or something. I don't know. And maybe that won't be as much of a token effort anymore. Or as it, because Threadripper has been kind of, or, or at least this generation of Threadripper really didn't have that much to offer, I don't think. And I don't know. I, I think uh, if you, you might be able to see uh, higher core counts with Threadripper, maybe we'll be stuck at 16 cores for another ge- uh, generation. But I don't think gamers really need to care that much about 16 cores. Uh, because I think we're still doing fine. It's uh, eight cores for the most part. One thing I will say, though, uh, that's been highlighted on uh, previous generation, I mean, uh, on previous content and stuff is the fact that there is some spillover in gaming. So a unified 16 core would be nice to have as opposed to it being. It, would, it would boost gaming performance. You know, I think especially yeah, in certain games, it would, that would get rid of like the gigantic latency penalty you have on the two different CCX. When you have a game that could use 10 cores, but doesn't need 16, it still is the same latency penalty spilling over from an eight core CCX to the other. Yeah. Um, that'd be avoided if there was a unified 16 core. So yeah, I think that's worth pointing out here. Um, I, I don't know for sure, but I mean, it's quite conceivable. I know. I think we're going to get single digit clock speed increases. Um, we're already at 5.7 gigahertz now. And I, I'm told if they wanted to, they could hit six gigahertz probably with Zen 4, but they're not bothering to with consumer products just to make financial sense. So it's quite conceivable that what you get next year is something with like 25% higher IPC, at least 20% higher IPC than Zen 4 that runs at maybe six gigahertz. And then they launch that. And so what would that give you? Overall, they'll probably give you something 30% better in single threading, uh, maybe with lower power consumption as well. We'll see. And then that launches February next year, maybe. And then quarter three, quarter four, they launch, they could even call it Zen 5 Plus if they want to market it that way. A IO die that fits a single 16 core, three nanometer CCX that they then put Vcash on top of. And that might boost gaming performance another 20, 30%. So AMD's got options here. And as much as some people want more cores on desktop, I don't think you need more than 16 cores. I think what you need is Threadripper to be an option. Do you think there's also potential that they move back, that they, it makes sense for them to move back to an almost more traditional style where they have potentially two dies for Zen 5, one 8 core and one 16 core. That's just, both of them are uh, unified one CCX and then the 16 core just has you know, they have 16 or 12 cores enabled and they have the eight core CC uh, die that is eight or like six cores enabled. Are you saying the two chiplets are like a unified 24 core? No, I'm saying two not chi- unified, but one chiplet 24 core. I, I, I'm saying move back to just having multiple different uh, CPU dies that they put into different products <laughs> instead of 
just using the same CCX for all however many products they release. You mean like on Strix or something? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, remember, these are fundamentally the same architecture. So it wouldn't surprise me if what they do at Strix is they have a unified CCX that's 8 Zen 5, 8 Zen 5C, but they share the same L3 cache. And so there's mm-hmm. zero penalties, but they're able to fit four more cores than they may, or four to eight more cores than they normally would be able to. Like, that's something I would assume they're doing with Strix. And again, the way the scheduling works right now at Zen is they just pick the higher boosting core for when they need to. I don't see why you don't just share the L3 cache between 8 Zen 5, 8 Zen 5C, and then 6 gigahertz cores are over here, 4.5 gigahertz cores are over here. Why not? And that's huge. That'll be a huge deal. Yeah, I, I mean, if the scheduling is as simple as that and you just have cores that... that you just get uh, to add more cores, yeah. That, and you IPC. just have cores that have slightly lower clock speeds. That's scheduling sounds. Hopefully, like there wouldn't be any issues with it. Although AMD does like having software issues at launch, so you never know. <laughs> I've heard there's some minor things they have to do with scheduling, but it, they're minor. Okay. So that that's what I've heard. Don't, don't expect to have the Xbox app open in every Zen PC next year. <laughs> I, I honestly think what they did with Zen 4X 3D is pretty clumsy. Um, I bet they would agree to in yeah. hindsight. Or if they don't, I, they need a reality check. Um, but yeah, so, and I, I, I wasn't quite sure if this was part of your question, but my understanding is AMD plans all Zen 5 or all Zen 5C on desktop for now. Okay. That they don't see a point in mix and matching because... Why add complexity to the scheduling? And, and I agree. Why? Who wants 8 Zen 4 or Zen 5 plus 16 Zen 5C? Don't you just want 32 cores at 4.5 gigahertz or 16 cores at 6 gigahertz? I, most I, likely. I would, you know. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> I mean, I don't see who that's really for. And if you think about it, guys, the reason... A lot of people would say, but yeah, Intel lets you have the best of both worlds. No, they don't. No, they don't. They have to give you little cores because their big cores take up so much die space that they can't afford to design 20 different options. They, 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 I already did this in the uh, Intel's Nerf Future video where I showed like AMD is like an IO die for server, an IO die for desktop slash laptop with Dragon Range. And they designed Zen 4 and Zen 4C chiplets. They have four chiplets. They made Sienna, Bergamo, Genoa, Dragon Range, Raphael. So five products at least from four. Di- and then if you add the Vcash one, Genoa X, Dragon Range X, you know, like you're getting like 50% more products from the amount of chiplets you have to design. Intel, 8 plus 8 or 8 plus 20, 8 plus 16, 8 plus 8. I think then they have six plus zero, four plus zero. That's just to cover the desktop lineup. <laughs> then six plus eight for laptop, two plus eight for laptop. There's two different dies for Sapphire Rapids. I believe there's new ones for Sapphire Rapids HBM. <laughs> like, and then Fishhawk Falls, Fishhawk Falls, the other thing. Guys, they have to design like 12 chiplets for six products. AMD can design five or six for like 20 products. So Intel doesn't let you choose between an all little core. Or like a two big core plus 32 little core or just an all 10 or 12 core big core because they don't have the money to design all this crap for niche areas. AMD can just go, we don't need to design a new thing. We're just giving you two uh, Zen 4C chiplets or Zen 5C chiplets, depending on the thing. And, and, and I think 
that's an advantage AMD should capitalize on is not wasting this mixed threading. Just go to 32 cores for those who need it. Yeah, I mean, if if Intel were offering you, quote unquote, the best of both worlds, they would have a 10 core uh, processor that clocks to six gigahertz and currently has the gaming crown, but they don't have that. <laughs> exactly. All AMD had to do was take a server chiplet and throw it in with a different iota. They're done. Yeah. Um, Karino Sugata writes in and says, hi, Tom, would you consider Intel's Granite Rapids to be a success? If it scares AMD into releasing standard Zen 5 on 3 nanometer, I think that's about the only thing that would force AMD's hand on this, assuming that Zen 6 is not massively delayed. I think Zen 5 coming to 3 nanometer is going to be wholly dependent, almost wholly dependent, on if TSMC's yields and pricing get to a place where it makes sense to launch it to desktop. Or That's it. Like a- Intel's launching era... We'll get to it soon, like Air Lake probably mid next year. So after Zen 5's already out, they'll have their three nanometer options to fight Air Lake if they need to, or they can just throw Vcash on the four nanometer versions and probably offer something that ties Air Lake's gaming performance at half the cost to manufacture. <laughs> Remember, Air Lake's using N3X or Intel 20A is what I'm told for laptop. Mm. So they're using the most expensive three nanometer node to give you, I believe, 20 to 30% more IPC than Redwood Cove. Uh, so if Zen 5 is, let's say, 30% better single threading than Zen 4, Air Lake looks like it's maybe 50% better than Zen 4, but then you add Vcash, now they're tied in gaming. AMD's cost half as much to make. I mean, they could go to 3 nanometer if they want to and boost it more, maybe, but I think it's mostly just based on TSMC's yields. And I, guys, I think AMD is going to be more okay with it than you think if they lose to Intel and gaming by 5 to 10% again, but their product's $500 and Intel's is 800 That's how they won market share with Zen 1 Plus, And I don't think they care. I mean, just with the way that TSMC prices their nodes at this point, like, uh, uh, unless they're making just absurdly large margins which i guess i at the end of the day i don't know what their true margins are for cpus uh it has to be the price of the node to some large extent that dictates which nodes they go with (laughs) because tsmc can basically charge seemingly whatever they want to at this point for their new nodes well they thought they could but people are cutting orders whether it's nvidia apple and maybe even amd a little although i don't think amd really is uh to a large extent so I think in TSMC is learning, oh, we charge 50 to 80% more for, it depends who you ask. I'd say it's 30 to 80% more for five nanometer over seven. I don't think they're going to get away with charging another 50% more for three nanometer. I don't. I'm I think they're going to have to charge <laughs> more. And I think they're going to have to live with that. Yeah. Too bad, TSMC. My boy writes in and he says, in a previous episode, my point wasn't that AMD's position is bad right now. My point is that their superior position isn't enough to really win for good. The same way I think NVIDIA's CEO Jensen Wang won against AMD 10 years ago. You ought to make it sound, at least in my opinion, as if Intel was pretty much out of the race versus AMD for the foreseeable future. Well, I think of them more like boxers on the eighth round. Intel is very, very winded and keeps taking hard punches. Maybe Intel will go down eventually, but right now they're still capable of throwing clean punches back. You said clean punches. Which one is it in this? analogy because 
I agree with your analogy. Intel is a very, very winded person getting punched in the head by AMD over and over. I'm not saying they're out, but are you going to bet your mortgage that it's going to turn around the other way soon? And I don't think that AMD has won for good yet. That If that's what it sounds like I'm saying, it's not. I just don't see the argument for how Intel turns things around until 2025. And by then, they could be financially in ruin. This isn't hyperbole, guys. They're making products that have like less than half the margins of AMD. AMD, it sounds like, might get to 40% market share this year. Okay. But they're making higher margins at 40% market share. They're going to be making more money overall than Intel soon in some segments. Intel has latent capacity no one wants. It's going to be years before anyone wants to use Intel's nodes in a major way like they do TSMC or Global Foundries or Samsung. I mean... Yeah, it's just Intel's at a point right now where they've been losing their position for years now. They came out with Alder Lake, which was a decent response, and it doesn't look like they're going to have anything, at least for uh, desktop, until maybe Arrow Lake that's actually decent. So we'll see. But it's just like, yeah, I guess they're throwing a clean punch or whatever, once every four, three to four years at this point. And I'm not so, I, I don't doubt that eventually they can claw their way back. And AMD will at some point be in the position where they are the, where they have the worst products because they, things trade back and forth over time. But at least for five plus years, like five plus years, I think AMD is going to keep being dominant. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Yeah, and and past that, I just think it's too far out for anybody that's like not inside the company to really have any good idea of where it will go. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not saying Intel isn't going to make products that are competitive with AMD. I'm just saying, as long as AMD keeps launching like they did with Zen 4 versus Raptor Lake, products that are cheaper to make and launch months before the competition and continue to take market share and server with those variants, I'm not seeing where Intel turns this around because they're launching later and making less money. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if they beat them. They're making less money. You'd hope they beat them. They're making less money off of it. It's costs more. I mean, (laughs) Um, Alexander writes in and says, will a computer with a decent contemporary gen CPU and GPU ever be CPU bound in many games again? Or will we continue to be always GPU bound at reasonable settings and resolutions? How do you define CPU bound? Because I've noticed a lot of people complaining about bad CPU performance with console ports, and I don't know if they understand that the devs are maxing out a 3.5 gigahertz Zen 2 8-core on PS5. Right, but that's to get to around 60 frames per second. So if you want to get to 120... Or 240. You you need something with double the single-threaded and at least 8 cores, and probably 12 cores to make up for the I.O. to do other tasks at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, there's no way around it. When you add in the I.O. controller with the PS5 CPU, 7900X might be needed for 120 hertz in a game that maxes out the PS5 CPU. You need double the single threading and more cores. Not a 5600X. <laughs> you know what I mean? And And so... Is your argument 120 hertz? Yeah, I mean, I think Zen 5 and onwards until the PlayStation 6 comes out, although we don't even know what that's really going to do, if that'll change anything. PS4 certainly didn't make you need a stronger CPU. 
Um, <laughs> no. You know, I think Zen 5 is going to do 120 hertz gaming fine. But here's the thing. You say CPU bound. Everyone's definition of CPU bound is different. Nobody thinks any of the recent releases of CPU issues if they game at 60 hertz. But now we all seem to expect 120 hertz. I think in 2025, there'll be a lot of 480 hertz gamers. So I think that's going to be where things move next. And good news, Zen 6 will probably have double the single threading of Zen 4. So I think we'll be there. But Or, or at a minimum, 240 hertz is going to become more common over time. Sure. And a lot so. of CPUs right now that are out right now just can't run a game at 240 hertz. And that's not to some say, of them can, but that's not, not to say it's bad. Yeah, that's not to say these are bad CPUs. It's just nothing needs to run at 240 hertz. <laughs> yeah. All right. Unless well, it, well, unless it's CS:GO, then it does need to run at a uh, 800 hertz or whatever the hell people run well, that. Of on. course it does, and that's why I need to get Raptor like to play Counter Strike Go at 900 frames per second because that's why you get <laughs> cutting edge con- uh, CPUs. All right. Moving on, something else that will run Counter-Strike at 900 frames per second. I have a leak about uh, Meteor Lake. So I just didn't know what piece of content I would have time to put this in. And why not Broken Silicon? So I'm putting a quote on screen right now. And basically, uh, a couple contacts tell me at Intel that it's fairly safe to assume that Meteor Lake is going to hit around 5 gigahertz, at least. It's already, I've heard, 4.7 gigahertz or higher right now, so there's almost no chance the top models of Meteor Lake won't be at 4.7 gigahertz. They think they'll get to 5 gigahertz, and they're hoping to get it to 5.4 gigahertz, but they're not confident yet that they can achieve that. And so uh, one of the contexts especially wanted me to like make it clear, this is good news for anyone thinking, you know, Meteor Lake can't get past 3 gigahertz. That's not going to happen going to hit around 5 gigahertz it might hit 5.4 gigahertz and because i expect redwood cove to be like a 12 to 20 percent ipc increase something around there I, I mean yeah i think that compared to raptor lake mobile cpus this will be the best gaming cpu it's gonna be like tiger lake i think where yes you could use comet lake but tiger lake at 5 gigahertz with eight cores was technically the best gaming cpu at the time i think that's going to be true of meteor lake however my source has also insisted on making this clear. Well, Raptor Lake hits 6 gigahertz now. Raptor Lake refresh may hit 6.1, 6.2 gigahertz. I mean, if Meteor Lake's only 10 to 20% higher IPC or something, it doesn't really make sense to make Meteor Lake a gaming flagship on desktop where you can use extra power. That's why they're choosing to go with Raptor Lake refresh for desktop and extreme laptops for another year. So... Meteor Lake is good. The 6 plus 8 variant's going to be great. If they can get it out in quarter 3, I think this will be a better than Tiger Lake situation where they have a good premium thin and light flagship that kind of beats AMD across the board. But if it comes out quarter 1, I think Strix is going to crush it and there's a reason they're not bothering to bring it to desktop. Both because Raptor Lake can clock 20% faster probably or at least 10-15% faster, which negates the IPC difference. And because... uh you know, they're probably going to want all volume they have to take laptop market share anyways. There's no point in wasting that volume on desktop, most likely. Although, again, as far as I've heard, they could still launch a 6 plus 8 variant to desktop, but I, I still think the 6 plus 16 variants canceled. All right. What I do mean, you think, Dan? I, it, uh, unless Meteor Lake can hit, like, I don't know, like 5.4, 5.6 gigahertz, 
I don't see why you wouldn't would release. But it, it still only has six big cores, so yeah, the eight cores at six point two is probably going to tie Meteor Lake and desktop gaming. In older games, Meteor Lake actually might crush it, but in the latest, that need eight cores. Yeah, branding this as like a more of like a follow up to Tiger Lake, and just putting it in thin and light seems like a way better decision to make this look like. Well, it, it, I shouldn't say make it look like because it, it it's a good cpu in the right context and putting it in that that right context is what it might double do. raptor like uh performance per watt on laptop like that's yeah that's good. Imp- <laughs> yeah that's very impressive it's just not necessarily going to bring anything new to desktop so yeah might as well refresh raptor like if you can get a couple hundred more megahertz out of it but and maybe 10 to 20 percent higher all core boost clocks especially yeah. then it would crush meteor lake and multi-threading yeah so yeah i mean meteor lake i i think that's the expectation everyone had is it's not going to be anything to write home about for it for desktop but if it can hit five gigahertz that'll be good and thin and lights yeah it just needs to freaking come out on time intel <laughs> well yeah don't bet money for intel for that but the only other thing i would say is Hey, if it hits 5.4 gigahertz, I still think there's an argument for them to launch, uh, what would it be, Z890 and put Meteor Lake on that as the i5-14-600K because you can bring something for 350 that ties the previous gen gaming flagship at half the power on a new platform. At least by the time you launch Aero Lake, motherboards will be widely supplied and cheaper. You already have an i5 sitting there. So I still think there's an argument for doing that. But again, only if Intel has the bandwidth to handle that at the time. Yeah, I think there's an argument they might not. And that's why they would cancel Meteor Lake desktop. Um, Chris Rich writes in and says, Meteor Lake is quite a radical change to Intel's design and manufacturing process. But I see little discussion about it these days. Okay, it might not be coming out on desktop, but the laptop market is far larger. No matter how significant it might become for the general laptop market, would it be fair to say that it's going to be a non-event for gaming enthusiasts? Is it literally too little too late? If it comes out after Strix and Zen 5, who gives a shit? But yeah, if it comes out this year in decent volume, which... I don't know. I'm basically told you shouldn't expect it to before quarter four, but fingers crossed they pull it up because I've heard Pat Gelsinger's like yelling at people every week to pull up the launch because he knows they need it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it will be an event for laptop because I mean, if it hits 5.4 gigahertz on laptop or even just like 5.2, uh, 15% IR IPC, that would be like if there was a six gigahertz Raptor Lake chip that uses like 65 watts. That's something for laptop gaming that will be 20% better than Phoenix, at least. That's something. Yeah, I, I, I just, those launches just don't usually get as much fanfare as, uh, as desktop launches do because desktop people are the people that like talking about their computers the most generally. <laughs> yeah. Or people who like talking about computers end up getting desktops and then talk about them all the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, TMC Payton writes in and he says, Howdy, normalizing for everything else, price performance features. How much power efficient, how much more power efficient would a CPU or GPU have to be for you to swap to the more efficient part? How much do you actually value power efficiency compared to other metrics? If it's half the power, I'll take a 10% performance hit. 
Yeah, that's definitely, especially if like you have a relatively small case, definitely. <laughs> or you, you know, I, or that's a thing that you want. And you know, I think I, we've seen people in the past make the argument, gamers don't really care about power consumption. They say they do and they want to argue for their fanboy company that they're fanboying for. But I actually don't think that's entirely fair. I think that the Kepler efficiency advantage or the Maxwell one compared to Fury has just often been overblown. Maxwell was more efficient, but you know, I mean, what I'm trying to think of like a comparison here. The 970 used 120 watts, Tonga used 80 watts, 180 watts, and it was like 20% weaker for the full 380X, I believe, maybe 10% weaker. So you have NVIDIA with a card that uses like 30 to 50 less watts and is 10% better. That's not like double the efficiency. It's like rarely ever been the case where it's been twice as bad. The only time I can think of is like 1080 versus Vega Liquid, you know, or something it's insane like, you know, that. So even the 3090 versus 6900 XT, 20% loss in efficiency. You know? Yeah, I, I, I think especially in the past, people brought up really big, made really big deals a lot of time about relatively small differences in efficiency, where it's like 10% differences in efficiency, and people are acting like that makes all the difference, which, no, that that's not meaningfully different. Yeah. <laughs> then when you get into, like, the modern CPU landscape where some CPUs are like, like 40, 50% less efficient than others. It's like, and that difference is the difference between being able to use a low profile cooler in a small form factor case versus a almost needing a liquid cooling solution for the other one. Well, Mm -hmm. that's, those are very different products at that point. And I think you obviously go for the more efficient one. <laughs> yeah. And so to put this in terms of like real world comparisons, the 4070 is like a 180 watt card that performs like uh, a, a 3080 kind of. Okay. Well, if the 7800 XTX is the same price and it uses 250 watts, but it's 10% stronger. Um, I don't think anyone cares about that 70 watts. You get 16 gigs of RAM instead of 12, and it's a little stronger. Yeah. I wouldn't get the 4070. But if it was, you know, 350 watts, oh, yeah, I get the 4070. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is why I think the i9-13900K is stupid, because it is double the power consumption of a 7950X that only if you have the fastest RAM wins in gaming by, like, 5% or something, maybe. And in multi-threading, it trades blows. It's like, well, yeah, this is a ridiculous choice, I think. So, um, but it's rare we see the comparison that big. But hey, we might in a few generations. We'll see what happens with NVIDIA and AMD. All right. Now let us move on to the final story. Story number six. Intel confirms basically everything Moore's laws that leaked about servers with Sierra Forest, Granite Rapids, and more. We'll be brief about this. On March 29th, Intel confirmed the following during their data center and AI investor webinar. The company will split its Xeon CPU offerings between performance and efficient optimized architectures. Sierra Forest, leaked in detail by Moore's Law is Dead months ago to have this core count, is the first of these architectures and confirmed to feature 144 e-cores on the standard non-giant version of the server socket. I'm told the double tile version for both Granite Rapids and uh, Sierra Forest comes later this year, or at least 
for, for Sierra Forest later this year. I guess maybe Granite Rapids will come sooner. Um, and this is supposed to launch within the first half of next year against AMD's 192 core Zen 5C products. So that's correct. A Intel is launching 144 little cores to server early next year, whereas AMD will be launching 192 Zen 5C cores. Good luck, Intel. This will then be followed up by Clearwater Forest, supposedly in 2025. Intel also confirmed the dual tile Emerald Rapids, which utilizes a variant of Raptor Cove for up to 68 cores, although possibly maxing out at 64 cores, like Sapphire Rapids was supposed to at 56. And this is supposedly going to launch before the end of the year. And then Granite Rapids launches closely after Sierra Forest, which I assume means quarter three next year. I don't know. Anyways, that's it. The good news is that Intel does seem to be making up for lost ground if they can launch all of these products when they say they will. Granite Rapids should have similar core counts to Turin, similar performance. Emerald Rapids will lose to Genoa undoubtedly, but at least it's making up some lost ground. But the bad news is, is that they cost more to produce than AMD, and so they could be financial disasters if each of them slips to even half a year later. By then, AMD would have better products out that are cheaper to manufacture, taking up server contracts. Well, Intel maybe has latent capacity. And again, that's why I've heard Wendell brought this up that Sapphire Rapids is really easy to get a hold of if you're a server customer. Yeah, they got a lot of extra capacity <laughs> now at Intel. No one wants their crap. So, or less of the market does. So, yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, there's really nothing that new here, but they, they confirm things we've been talking about for a while. And really the things I noticed that really stuck out to me were Sierra Forest on track for first half of next year. Granite Rapids, following closely behind it. Yeah. What does that mean, Intel? Um, Just give no, us a quarter. Like, there's no way to know with Intel at this point. I honestly have no faith in just their launch schedules. I, I would say follow close after means anywhere within nine months to a year afterwards. I mean, you would think if they're noting that it's close, it should be like, a relatively quick turnaround, like six to nine months, but I don't know. All their deadlines seem to expand out over time. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, it doesn't look bad. Granite Rapids uses Redwood Cove Plus, which is a non-irrelevant IPC increase over Redwood Cove. It's kind of like I've heard halfway between Lion Cove and Arrow Lake and Redwood Cove. So yeah, that probably 20% higher IPC, maybe, you know, than mm -hmm. what they have now with Raptor Cove, which is about equal to Zen 4. Yeah, it might be directly competitive with Zen 5. <laughs> but it doesn't have more cores. It'll probably, in fact, it could have slightly less cores and it costs more to make. So if it doesn't come out at the same time as Zen 5, I'm just forced to sit here and go, why would anyone get this instead? AMD has Mindshare now. AMD's known for reliability now. It's not enough Intel to match AMD with something that costs more. You have to cost less now. So, yes, when a when a product is worse, it should generally cost less than its competitor. <laughs> and you know, by the end of next year, the 288 core variant of uh, Sierra Forest is supposed to come out. I'm told those cores will at best perform like Xeon isolate cores. Mm -hmm. Although some of my contacts think it might perform like ice like threads, meaning it might actually be equivalent to a 144 core ice like because it had hyper threading. Mm -hmm. 
If that's true, I don't know how the hell that's going to compete with a 192 core Zen 5C. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it will, really. It, it, it just it, it won't. It, it has to come out before uh, Zen 5C does. I think so. Have any effect. And it should. It should probably come out a quarter or so before it. But if it doesn't, my God. QH Freddy writes. I was just going to say, three months uh, does not sound like a very long time, though, uh, (laughs) when we're talking about Intel's deadlines or Intel's uh, execution on their deadlines. Slipping three months, you mean? Yeah. Not the craziest thing you'd expect. Yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, do you think Intel dug themselves into a hole by promising an effectively yearly cadence with incremental increases over the last decade? And now that they are having to make bigger gaps between their releases, it's a struggle for them to justify it to their customers. Or do you think that in, in, in this industry, having a consistent release cadence is just necessary for any player to succeed? People like consistency, people like predictability, QH Freddy. It could be every three years they double performance, or it could be every year they increase by 20%. But when you tell people this is when they can buy something and they can't, they get pissed. Intel dug themselves into a hole when the marketing people stopped understanding the progress the engineering people were actually making, made a bunch of claims and promises that they couldn't keep, and then lost all trust of their customers. doesn't matter what the cadence is, it's that they can't hit any cadence they say. Well, and when you have a competitor that's also consistently releasing things uh you kind of have to keep putting things out uh to like you know make yourself seem relevant even if their stuff looks kind of crappy right now (laughs) and i i I mean i think to an extent these companies i mean they clearly do given how close these companies release windows are to one another how the other companies technologies develop clearly influences when things come out too yeah Gooch Freddy writes in, is Intel trying to make people forget that Sapphire Rapids Xeon W exists? This is Fishhawk Falls. I forgot. Uh, well, I, I I forget about Intel stuff because sometimes because they have so many freaking code names for everything. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. They said it was launching months ago and I don't see it on Newegg. Right. Is Maybe it? we'll get it eventually. Who? The hell knows. Remember, Tom. guys, Alchemist was on shelves quarter one last year. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what anything Intel does anymore. They, they say something's coming out. It doesn't come out. Uh, but let me yeah. see. Oh, wait. What is this? 24 core. What architecture is this? Cascade Lake. Okay. You know, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where these things are. Uh, but they are not here. <laughs> They are um, on Intel Arc, so they exist in theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, um, I'm saying they have, like, I don't know the names off the top of my head of all these freaking Xeons on Newegg. I had to, like, make sure I even knew what architecture it was, but it doesn't just tell me. And it was a Cascade Lake one for 1700 if you want that, Dan. Um, Trigaholic writes in, and he says, if Raptor Lake Refresh requires a new motherboard, like 8th, 9th gen CPUs, will it be DOA? Will Intel allow a single motherboard to be used across three generations? Well, yeah, it would be dead on arrival, so it won't be. Uh, <laughs> Raptor Lake Refresh. I've seen, by the way, people saying online, it might actually be 13th gen. It might. Yeah, it always might have. <laughs> I just call it the 14900K sometimes because, I don't know, it's more flashy and you know what I mean? I, I, 
If they fully if they bring a twenty percent multi-threading increase, they should call it fourteenth gen. If they can fully differentiate it from Raptor Lake, even if it is just a refresh of Raptor Lake, they'll call it the fourteen nine hundred K. If not, also, I don't know what else they would call it because they're out of their weird acronym nine ninety KS. Yeah, they're out of their their naming scheme because they already released the KS. Yeah, well, and let's be very clear about this. I've seen some people say. Meteor Lake's 14th gen, so Raptor Lake can't be. What the fuck was Comet Lake and Tiger Lake and Rock? Like they, they did this, they do this all the time. Tiger Lake and Rocket Lake were the same generation. They're both 11th gen and they were different architectures. Some people, uh, sometimes people conflate um, because they usually correlate pretty well brand and architecture. Some people seem to act like it's a law that a brand, the branding has to be the same as the architecture. It's like I, I remember seeing this isn't about Intel. This is about uh, AMD's uh, uh, Renoir refreshes uh, talking uh, uh, people like on Reddit being mad that they were calling it 7000 series. And then a bunch of the comments were just like, oh, you learned what rebranding is. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this, <laughs> this has been a thing forever. It will be a thing forever. We can talk about if it's somewhat anti-consumer if you want to. I don't really think it is. It's just brand doesn't equal brand doesn't equal uh architecture yeah and again this is all semantics they can call it whatever they want but it is my opinion that if they can launch a raptor lake refresh that is a new edition of the silicon that has 10 to 20 percent higher multi-threading five percent less power consumption maybe a 6.2 gigahertz boost clock compared to what they have now that would be stupid to call the 13990k that's kind of a generational uplift, a minor one, but it is alt the 14900K because they're not launching Meteor Lake to desktop, at least not at that level. And there will be nothing stopping them from then making Meteor Lake on desktop 15th gen or also 14th gen, but a different name. And this is something they do all the time. They're selling Alder Lake CPUs as 13th gen right now. Right yeah. now, guys. <laughs> so <laughs> this doesn't stop anything. It's semantics and... It, either way, it will use the existing LGA seventeen hundred Tragaholic. Don't worry. All right, seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Uh, Ufu Fu Fu or UFUFUFU writes in. Do you think part of the reason AMD refuses to release something that beats Nvidia's Halo products is that they don't think enough people will actually change their decision and buy Radeon? You know how car enthusiasts beg car manufacturers to release a sports car with a manual transmission. But then when they do, no one buys them. Or do they just wait until they're de depreciated enough to buy it used? Thus not giving the manufacturer a sale. I wonder if AMD thinks this way too. What's well, kind of a forced analogy, but I see your point. I think AMD designed Navi 31 to hit a certain level of performance and price. They missed that mark by 10 to 20%. And that's that. I, mean, I, 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 I don't think, uh, I, I think they wanted it to beat the 4090. I think if I think if they could have made a card that beat the 4090 and raster by like five to ten percent, and they could sold that for like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars, I think they would have done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I think they would be they would have beaten Nvidia this generation had thing had things gone the right way. I don't think they attenuated the 7900 XTX, so they made a card that's slightly weaker than what they could have achieved. Yeah, they're not going, 
NVIDIA's here, us be here. They wanted to win. I mean, uh, you can say I lied, I whatever, but I wasn't lying. AMD thought they were going to win. Also, they thought NVIDIA was going to max out at 400 watts. They didn't think they'd clearly be willing to go to 600 watts, which they were. And so I think AMD saw that they're, well, actually, the whole performance thing is this whole saga that I cover in another video. You know, go watch that. But, um, which was the uh, RDNA 4 versus Blackwell, the RTX 5000 strategy video. Check that out, guys. Um, but, you know, I think they wanted it to be a better than what the 4090 is now. It ended up 20% weaker. Um, and they designed a card they thought they could sell for $1,000 that would compete with NVIDIA's flagship. But they didn't intend it to be weaker. Uh, the only thing they missed is that NVIDIA was willing to use 600 watts. And I think they said, well, we're not going to win. And apparently they're willing to go to 600 watts. <laughs> Let's just make sure this is something we can sell for the price we actually want to. So. You know, is AMD not going to ever make a Halo product because they don't think people will buy it? Absolutely not. They want to win if they can. The only difference is that I think they care less about it than NVIDIA, but that's not to say they don't want to do it. Yeah, NVIDIA thinks they need to win. AMD would like to, uh, which means they're not going to go balls to the walls to do it. But that doesn't mean they're going to like not try. Yeah, but it, it it would look stupid if AMD put out a 7900 XTX that used 500 or, or like 600 watts 600 or something watts. that fell just short of the 4090. I think having something that uses slightly less energy, that uses a bit less energy at stock, because I know it's actually pretty easy to get the 4090 to be power efficient uh, and beats and loses by whatever by like 20 percent eh, that looks slightly better than having some in, in insanely hot uh gpu that is loud and at the end of the day kind of sucks even if it's on paper better right and i think two more things on this i kind of hear that amd it sounds like they kind of knew the 4080 would be 380 millimeters squared and then so on and so forth so they went oh well if 8103 is like 30% smaller than GA103, stands to reason that 8102 will be maybe only 450, 500 millimeters squared. Wrong. NVIDIA still decided to have this die with 60% more CUDA cores or 80% more? 60 to 80% more than the 103 die. And I did hear that took them slightly off guard. But then in addition to that, this is AMD's first attempt at chiplets. Is your advice as someone in business to go, hey, this could fail because we've never done this before. This is going to be hard. What we're going to do then is make some 500 millimeter squared, five nanometer die bolted to eight, six nanometer chiplets for a 512 bit bus. And if it works half as well as expected, we're we our thing costs twice as much to make as NVIDIA. <laughs> or are you going to yeah. make something where it's kind of almost a mid-range design that way, if something goes wrong, you can still sell it for a profit. That's what I think they decided to do. And I hear Navi 40 is much more ambitious because they've learned from their first attempt. But if they, they're not going to decide to not make Navi 40 powerful. Anyone who thinks RDNA 4 isn't going for it again, they're going for it. Mm -hmm. We just don't know yet if they will win because I kind of estimate that Blackwell is going to be 40 to 60% better than Lovelace at this point. And I think Navi 40 might be 
50 to 80 percent better than what they have now so <laughs> so it's gonna be close again i think which let's be clear it's close they're like 20 percent away from each other guys but okay so that's all of the reader mails all the stories you know no one wrote in about this but i will just put it on here what if i do a, a, a goofy lighting thing here let's see oh that's perfect <laughs> that's perfect everyone will love that yeah but let me do this just uh, to for five minutes talk about the fact that we've done 200 episodes i think we mostly plan to celebrate at 256 for 256 bit because we're dorks but well, we could have gone been... earlier and celebrated 192 bit. i know but, but we missed it because we don't we're, we're so tunnel vision on just getting an episode out that i just forget milestones well and 192 bit is a peasant uh bus with so yeah and it, it, it's a uh we should have held the 192nd episode for the 4070 launch date and celebration. <laughs> yes, just not put out eight episodes for no reason. <laughs> but do you have any thoughts, Dan? I mean, we've been doing Broken Silicon since the middle of 2019. That's almost four years now. Yeah, we've gone through a whole ass pandemic. A uh, <laughs> whole ass pandemic. It's, it's weird to think that this, I don't know, the, the world's changed a lot after 2020 but it's weird to think that we've been doing it for that long and we've been doing it for the entirety of uh <laughs> the existence of covid and before it and it doesn't feel like we've been doing it that long but yeah i guess we have yeah yeah i know it's weird i mean i don't know i mean it's um you know i it's it's shocking by the way you go back and like look at like the first time hardware box was on which i don't remember what the views were but i think there were like five to ten thousand or something huh. well i guess which the funny thing is though is i believe our first episode got like thousands of downloads and five thousand views total on uh youtube which for a first episode of a podcast is like 10 times what you'd expect they usually get hundreds at best you know, yeah, I mean, th it's certainly the first episode was more successful than I would have thought it would have been. And uh, it's certainly gotten more successful than I would have ever anticipated. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. I just looked around and I was like, there are a lot of people in these WCCF tech comment sections like someone probably wants a good podcast that talks about leaks. and isn't at these companies i think a lot of the tech podcasts they're just marketing material for these goddamn companies they just sit there and bring on raja kadori and they're like oh alchemist is gonna be good okay thanks next segment but it's like there's no critical i just never didn't think there were enough people that were critical didn't have a dog didn't have any skin in the game and getting advertising from intel amd or nvidia I was just willing to sit there and go hey guys this thing sucks though right or kind of sounds like this is going to be that in two years and but it, it i agree it's been way, way more successful than i expected but in hindsight i can see why it's been successful and i do think because me and you too damn put a lot of effort into mm -hmm. it and there was a there there's a hunger for this market it's like there's a hunger for more vram and nvidia graphics cards well here's to another 200 episodes and hopefully when there were we've doubled the uh, episode count NVIDIA has more than doubled. Well, the well we should stop at 512 for 512 bit and then both hold 290 X's and jump off a bridge. 
How about that's what we end this show? The way we 512. End. We got at least another five years out of us, I think that means. Uh, oh, six years. Certainly no one can confirm how you would add up those numbers. No way to know. I mean, I would say one of us should hold a 2.9DX and the other should hold eight gigabytes of uh, RAM. I think that our, the GTX oh, oh. 280 had 512-bit as well. Yes. So you'll hold that. Okay. Yeah, that makes right. sense. <laughs> but until we uh, <laughs> until we end ourselves on a bridge holding graphics cards, that's at least five. That's like at least six years away. Well, at least five years away. Um, we will keep doing this episode, and who knows? Maybe if you actually got us to uh, two thousand patrons supporting us, we won't have to jump off the bridge. So remember to support us on Patreon. You would get this early, ad free, free submissions for questions. Free submissions for the upcoming Infinity Ward guest, who you'll also get that early and ad-free next week. Die Shrinks, bonus episodes, all of them ad-free, exclusive to patrons, free questions, loose ends. The Discord you'll get access to to talk about this with me and uh, the entire community there as well. And uh, we cannot do this without our patrons. We really want to grow it to keep increasing quality uh, this year. So please do that. Support all of our sponsors, like, you know, Silver Knights Fight, CD Key Offers, Anyone else who comes on in the next episode or something? And uh, I don't know, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a good rest of the week. And to another almost four years. <laughs> to an, another almost four years. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator. Tom, that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about side support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry no Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. 
I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes in Loose Ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey, if you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Bevan, Drita Full, AV, Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Treadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Lawn, the Mechanical Philosopher, Joe Foot, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wachick, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, J Christopher Croson, Joshua L. Herrera, Valco Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Jan Spantum G. Spamton, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Alex Vega, Gregory S. Hecker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tank, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Mead and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jess Scalia, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Semi Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Grow, Angle Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, Doug Daffy, AC, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy08, Hal Buma, Joseph Madrigal, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Koladic, Henry Zhang, Jensen N, Keith Moore, The Great Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Drum RB Racer, Keith Moore, Michael Cozy, Ben, DNA Tech, Toka, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushpa, Tika Adam, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, Mean Dean, Richard Yao, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Wilpy, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Nell Lima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, John Swin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davis, Shea, Julian Leak, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen, and Gima. Kim Sagun, Derek Lambing, James Mosher, Kiko Sato, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>